0: Hi, I'm Weird Al Yankovic, and you're listening to the Pantheon Network. The Beatles or the Rolling Stones? People have been debating this one in living rooms and bars around the world for over 60 years. Everyone has an opinion, and on today's episode of Prisoners of Rock and Roll, we're going to share ours. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the great rock and roll debate, the ultimate battle of the bands. In this corner, hailing from Liverpool, England... They once occupied the top five slots of the Billboard Hot 100 chart at the same time. Their appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show started the British invasion and was watched by 34% of the American population. They've sold over 600 million albums, including Rubber Soul, Abbey Road, and the White Album, the mop top fab four of John, Paul, George, and Ringo, the Beatles. And in this corner... Hailing from the smoky clubs of London, England, the bad boys of rock and roll, who brought you classic albums like Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, and Exile on Main Street. They once played a concert in front of one and a half million fans. They've been called the greatest rock and roll band in the world, the original Blues Brothers, Mick, Keith, Charlie, and Ronnie, the Rolling Stones. Now let's get ready to rock. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Prisoners of Rock and Roll, Episode 5. We're so glad you're here. I am Bruce Kramer. I am here with my two esteemed co-hosts, Ryan Raccoon (laughs) and Doug McCartney. (laughs) Who could shoot? They are the Eggman. I am the Walrus. So We decided this week we are going to dive right in and we're going to tackle one of the oldest, longest-running, biggest debates in rock and roll history. Who is the better band? The Beatles or the Rolling Stones?
1: This is really hard. I
2: mean, I don't even know how we're gonna compare guys. I was reading a bunch of things that you were posting on Facebook Orion this week and asking people their opinions. And it's wild. Like people like really take this like they're voting for president or yeah. No, passionate, it's, you know, yeah, it feels like it's controversial. It's something that everybody has an opinion on. Yeah.
0: This sounded like a great idea when we agreed to it two weeks ago. Very and then once risky. I once we started <laughs> diving into it, I was like, holy shit, this is a this is a lot of people are really passionate about it. We're gonna talk a little bit about both of the bands. We're gonna run through some comparisons of the two. And lastly, Ryan went on a mission to solicit input from our fans and some celebrities. So we got some pretty cool input that we're going to come into. And we're going to play some songs, as always. These two bands had very similar beginnings, and then it just went out in two completely different directions.
2: But you can't really compare the two bands, because, you know, it's two different sides of the spectrum.
0: As we were looking at all this stuff, I was like, okay, they both come out of post-war England. They're heavily influenced by American rock and roll. We talked a lot about Buddy Holly in episode two. We talked a lot about the artists of Sun Records in episode four. They all have an influence on him. And then they just kind of go off in their own separate directions. Yeah,
2: that's what happens. But on one hand, like the Beatles, I like to think that they're the soundtrack of your life. The Beatles changed the world. They did. They changed fashion,
1: changed the way people thought. I think they set the trend. Whatever they did, everybody copied. They did Sgt. Pepper and the Stones did that really crappy album. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> you know. Like, you look at, like, who were the Beatles' influenced? Like, Buddy Holly, of course. Like, one yeah.
2: thing you said that I love. You know, we were talking about Paul and John were watching Buddy Holly on television or solving yeah. Theater. Yeah. And he's like, look, John, he wears glasses just like you. Just like you. He's like, you could be a rock star too, yeah. John. Yeah, because he was, I found out that, that he was legally blind.
1: John, John Lennon. Was? He was legally blind. And he was dyslexic also. Wow. Well, I mean, he would go out there and stage... Everybody screaming and going goddamn crazy, and he can't see a goddamn thing. Wait, you know what's really funny? He's talking about everybody going crazy. So I read an article
2: about how, after a Beatles show at a venue, the place would smell like a toilet. So they were saying that majority females going to the shows would lose all control over their bowel syndromes and like literally piss on the
1: floor. Oh, dude!
2: You know because they lost
1: all like control over their emotions. Dude, I was watching Beatles documentaries all week, and there were. fucking fist fighting each other <laughs> in the really? crowd yeah, yeah. they imagine. were pulling like they were bringing stretchers out and girls were like uh, all busted up faced and everything they were like i'm a better paul fan no i'm a better <laughs> paul fan fuck you Ringo's better <laughs> i
2: mean i can you imagine that though i never even thought about that like oh the fist fights the girls would i have. thought they were just fainting no they were the shit out each other i didn't know that closer,
1: <laughs> yeah to get close to the beatles yeah, girls are vicious, man. This is very no true. offense, guys. No and, offense to women.
0: And we'll get into that. The sound and the effect that the crowd had on the Beatles drives part of their decision to say, "Fuck it, we're not touring anymore." Because we can't, yeah. we can't even hear ourselves, dude. I, I think
1: they were having mental breakdown. There's footage of John Lennon in, in that last concert, and he's just like losing his goddamn mind. Well, yeah. Well, they said that
2: in the uh, anthologies. And they actually play the clip of him playing keyboard. He's just playing keyboard with his elbow and everything like that. And it's like, they look over. Paul looks over at John. He's like, he literally
1: went... Like metal, how can you not? Oh, the energy! The, I, I, I couldn't even imagine. I'd probably be terrified. I don't know how they had the balls to get up there and do it.
0: I think the difference between the two band, like I was trying to sum it up, like I really struggled around whether people today care about the Beatles. I just hear some, I hear some things on Facebook the people that people aren't really into music. They're kind of like, eh, I don't give a shit about well, the Beatles.
1: Uh, a couple years ago, Rock Band put the Beatles out, and that sold really well. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I was just – do you remember me saying I, this to you? One thing that I remember about you saying about that – Yeah, I said that God knows who's listening to this, playing this video game. Somebody, like, that would never even listen to the Beatles is playing this video game, and now they know this song. And, you know, that – Kid's gonna grow up and he's gonna know the Beatles because of that video game. I remember the moment you said that, and every
2: time that game comes up, and especially the Beatles thing, I bring up that you said that because, listen, I known you my whole life. That was like one of the
1: smartest yeah, things have, you ever yeah, said. You know you my whole life. <laughs> yeah,
0: I was really struggling with that. Do people really give a shit about the Beatles anymore? And maybe I'm just an old crank and I don't like. Damn kids just don't care.
2: Absolutely. I think I think they absolutely still matter. Do your, I, I think do your they kids, matter. Do your kids listen to Not them?
0: Like. They're, they're kind of like, eh. My daughter is – she loved The Stones. Yeah, and sure. That, I can see that. And yeah. we took her to see The Stones on their last tour. And her stand – we were on the floor of Lincoln Financial Field on the field. And when they came out, the look on her face when she was like, that is Mick Jagger, that's my favorite concert moment of my entire life.
2: Ryan had the same look on his face. We were on the floor also. Ryan had the same look. Like, I can't help it. I
1: love I, Mick Jagger. Yeah. Who doesn't? I mean yeah. – uh, you know it's different going back to the beatles and i've seen paul mccartney and he's so good live i mean he there's so many songs he plays but there's so many songs that he cannot play because he doesn't own the rights to play it that's insane to me paul mccartney is like seeing like an orchestra it's so on it's so like precise You go see the Rolling Stones and it's like blues time. It's like, hey, I'm drinking some scotch and I'm all over this guitar. Like I agree with that. Like I saw McCartney
2: and the Stones, and when you see McCartney, it's kind of like seeing royalty. It's like kind of seeing like Ryan saw Ringo with my dad a couple of years ago, and I'm kind of envious that because I've never seen him. McCartney's the only
1: Beatle I've ever seen. Ringo was so fun. He had. Uh, his super band with him. He had the guy from Toto with him and he had the guy from Asia with him and they were playing their his, He's always
0: had a revolving yeah. thing of like Clarence Clemens from Springsteen yeah. was with him for a while. Yeah. And
1: and he was up there and he had a backup drummer. And he's just up there giving everybody the peace sign. and Peace, love. Peace and love. Peace and love. love, um, peace and love. Dude, it was an awesome time. I was glad I was there to see uh, Ringo. I've seen both living Beatles. Ringo came out with a book a couple of years
2: ago. It was called Postcards to My Mates. Did you ever see this? No. I did. Yeah, it was uh, he made up a book of postcards that he sent like especially the guys in the Beatles when he was on vacation and he made a book of this. And it's a very sweet book, everything they write, so like, oh, I'm missing you and this and that. And hmm. you know, Ringo like when he says peace and love and peace and love, that guy has a lot of love in him.
1: And well he they asked him what were you the most proud about being in the Beatles? he said that we sang about love sure
0: and as i was trying to summarize like the difference between the two of them the beatles were pushing the envelope the beatles were pushing every envelope music and bringing in different instruments and you know everything from a calliope from a merry-go-round to the sitar and all this other, like orchestra and all mm-hmm. this other shit and then they were pushing the envelope with what they did with george martin in the recording studio and the stones are they're constantly moving forward by going back to the the roots of blues rock and roll.
1: I think rock and roll is that exactly what you just said, blues and everything. Yeah. You know, that picking that we were talking about last week about yeah. Sun Records. So
0: it's like yeah. one band is going forward and the other band is like, it's in a cycle. They can't like they would come up with that psychedelic response to Sgt. Pepper's, which wasn't very good. Yeah. And like, mm. we got to go back to basics. Yeah. And that's what they're at their best. I totally agree. Absolutely.
1: When they stopped being artists and went back to being rock and roll, that's when the That's real stuff awesome came point. out. That's point. Yeah, when they yeah. when
0: they stop trying to keep pace with the masters of innovation.
1: Yes, and like, just get
2: back down to basics. It's like, all right,
1: dude, we took all the LSD that we could. Sure. Let's go back and rock now. But that's,
2: in my opinion, and we'll talk about the Stones, a lot about the Stones later on, but I don't think the Stones became the Stones until, like, the 70s. They
0: definitely had their eras, and there's probably more, but there's obviously more eras (laughs) than the Beatles that they had, you know, two. Another quote that I read, it was from ultimateclassicrock.com, com said, the Beatles were the innovators and the Stones are the practitioners. So the Stones had, like, they saw the blueprint. And they just fucking mastered it. Oh, sure. Yeah. The Beatles wrote their own blueprint.
1: Absolutely. They they changed the rules, the Beatles. Somebody did. has to do it first. And then once you see somebody do it, somebody's gonna copy it.
0: Yeah. And the last thing I, I had between the two of them is like the difference that like the the, the foundational differences is the stones are still around. Sure. The Beatles broke up fifty years ago. And
2: they were all together ten years. Right. Imagine and that.
0: Is this debate different if the Beatles hadn't broken up when they did?
2: Because it made them so legendary but people loved the beatles when they were like it blew, like they stopped touring that was a big thing who knows if you ever see them
1: live again you would have totally seen them live you yeah. would be they would be out like the stones well maybe not like such a circus act that the stones yeah. are but you would have definitely seen a reunion tour in the eventually. 80s yeah eventually. maybe in the 90s You know, that would have been amazing. God willing.
0: Yeah. All right. So we're going to start with the Beatles? Yeah.
1: You know, let's start with the Beatles. There is a anniversary day, guys. Today in 1965, Rubber Soul was released. That is my favorite Beatles album.
2: Now, a lot of people say that Rubber Soul was their gateway toward the psychedelic
1: sound. Oh, definitely. They found their sound and they were like, continue and go above and beyond.
0: How about before we start diving into the Beatles? I want to kind of talk a little, like real quickly around record labels. Okay. So everybody understands what we're talking about. So the Beatles were on EMI in England and they were on Capitol Records in the United States. Capitol Records was a subsidiary of EMI. But Capital didn't like the Beatles when the Beatles started blowing up in England. So Capital was like, we're not putting any of this music out. We don't like it. Brian Epstein, the Beatles manager, convinces somebody at Capitol to finally start promoting I Want to Hold Your Hand. And the Beatles were already big in England. That song takes off in the United States. Now Capitol Records goes like, shit, we got to start putting some Beatles albums out. But they had this whole backlog of other stuff that had already been out in England. Mm-hmm. So then they started putting out American versions of the albums without asking the Beatles what they cared about. Like they did, <laughs> the Beatles had no input of what came out in the United States. Just a standard of records in the United States at the time, a, an American album had 12 songs on it. A British one had 14. And the the British music industry was a lot more accepting of like singles, one off songs coming out. Mm. America was really more focused on albums. You had this disparity where like a American album would come out with two less songs on it. So the two songs that got dropped got pushed to another album. So the early stuff, there's no like there's no like uh this was the Beatles' first
1: album. God, all those collectible albums that are out right. there.
0: And then when they finally come out on CD in the 80s, the U.K. versions get released. There's American versions. And the shit gets really complicated. So give me a real quick example. And I, I spent like an hour trying to no, read sure. this. Yeah, yeah, Let Trying to understand the discography. I'm trying to understand it. In the U.S., Capitol Records put out Meet the Beatles in 1964. In the U.S. That had nine songs that were on with the Beatles, which was released in the U.K. the year before. But it also had I Want to Hold Your Hand, In England, I Want to Hold Your Hand was never on an album. It was just a single. Really? It also had I Saw Her Standing There, which in the UK was from the Please Please Me album. The Beatles' second album, it's called uh, the Beatles' second album. In the U.S., it was came out on April sixty four. That had five songs from with the Beatles, which I just said, meet the Beatles. Had nine songs with the Beatles. Then it had "She Loves You" and "I'll Get You," which was their latest single from "Hard Day's Night," which wasn't released yet, and some other stuff. Mm -hmm. So the shit's all over the place. It's a total clusterfuck.
1: They worked their ass off.
2: Who did like? Who did all like? Going back to like you know the the Capitol thing, like you know they didn't want to sign it. What does this one guy make the decision? Because usually like some CEO, you know like. Make this decision of like, oh, well, we're not going to push this band because they're not American
1: or this or that. You the know? thing that I think about, they come to America with the back catalog. So now they're at Kmart and the kids are like, I want these all. I have to have them all. I got to have sure. them all. And the parents are like, no, you can only want like, no, you don't understand. I have to have them all. It was such a Beatlemania thing.
0: The same thing with the Stones. Their first five albums in the UK became seven albums in the US. Sure. And everything until they come out with their Satanic Majesty's Request in eighty seven sixty seven, excuse me, everything is different.
2: But at the same time they can keep on pushing out albums and making more money. You can buy like the same album, like keep on pushing it out with different this and that on it. You don't the, have to put them back in the band to like put the band back in the studio to record anything. They already have everything recorded, so why not just keep on
1: pressing it on different... Like, and,
0: and in hindsight, yeah. too, like Ryan said, I don't know what some of the vinyl for some of that shit sells for now, yeah. but that's they got to be super I'm rare. Really, I'm
1: really in the vinyl, and uh, I watch different things on YouTube about it. The money that they get for these UK oh. prints, it's ridiculous. Like, it was it uh, Christie's? What they just did one was the White Album. They were all numbered in the beginning, the White Album. They all had different serial numbers. Number one went for some god unknown money, and it was Ringo Starr's album. Oh, it was his copy. It was, it was his, his copy. copy, really. It yeah. was number one. Wow,
2: good for Ringo to get number one. I and think whole,
1: he like just donated the money. Oh, sure he did. You know. And the, the whole story of the Beatles, too,
0: getting getting involved in in music. I mean, they yeah you know, they, they're they're a hot club act, and Brian Epstein's walking around trying to get him signed, and uh. Yeah, he takes the, the recordings to Decca Records, and the guy from Decca says, the Beatles have no future in show business. Guitar groups are on the way out, which is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you're an A&R dude for a record label, that has got to be the most short-sighted quote in the history of music. And instead, Decca signed some guy called Brian Poole in the Tremolos. and... Uh,
1: what a douchebag. Yeah,
0: I looked him up, <laughs> I looked him up on, on, uh, on Spotify, and it's like, okay, it sounds typical yeah. 60s London British music, nobody fucking knows who they are. If, it's, not even worth, it. it's not even worth pulling no, up on Spotify. Sent it to,
1: you sent it to me this afternoon. I was like, what the fuck is this?
0: Yeah. Decca passes on him, and, and the next guy that Brian Epstein called was George Martin at sure. EMI, and George Martin saw something and signed him. But,
1: but, but, the, but yeah, George Martin really saw something in the Beatles, but he knew they were kids. He looked at them, and he he saw with George Paul... And and John, and he said, all right, these boys are go, but I don't like this drummer. This drummer, that had, he's got to go. His name was Pete Best, and he was an awesome drummer. He was unbelievable. After the Beatles came, after he f- fell out of the Beatles, he did this whole jazz thing. He was very successful. He started in the Beatles. I think they got him in the band because his parents owned a cafe, the Casbar Cafe, and the Beatles would play there. So they're like, oh, we could play your spot. Yeah, you could play drums in the band. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Get on up. You know, poor Pete, they kicked him out of the band and George Martin said, I'm going to bring somebody else in. But we, they were like, oh, we have Ringo now. But like, well, I don't trust this Ringo kid either. I'm going to mm-hmm. use my own drummer. You know, those, fir- those first recordings of the Beatles, I forget what songs they are, but there's just like some studio guy on there.
2: A lot of people think that Pete Best got kicked out of the band because he was a good looking dude. And, like, the other guys in the band were kind of threatened by, like, his good looks and everything like that.
1: You know what was great that I remember hearing was Pete Best is a great drummer, but Ringo is a great Beatle. That's very funny. Like,
2: even in the beginning when they threw Pete out of the band out in England, you know, the Beatles were
1: somewhat successful.
2: And they were, like... No way. Who's this guy, Ringo? Like, Pete, Ringo
1: never, Pete forever. Oh, yeah. The girls did not like it. Because he was a good-looking guy. But once they went back to the cavern, and they start rocking, they're like, Pete who? Yeah, but Pete, though, at the
2: same time, he made a good lo- living just for that little part of Just being to an, be part of the Beatles. And he made a living off it for yes, the rest of did. his life. You know, God bless did, him. Yeah, he and made then a
0: movie. And then there's also Stuart Sutcliffe, Yeah, right? Oh, yeah, yeah man. He, he died really young. Yeah. He was the other He couldn't base, play. He was yeah, the other bass player.
2: Play. Yeah, he couldn't play. He was just John's buddy from school. Yeah, and, he was like
0: before, he's he, like yeah. way, way
2: yeah, before. Yeah, he was more- He was like in
1: Hamburg with him. He was more of a photographer, more of a painter. And he was in Hamburg and he had, they had a hell of a good time. He met some girl. He's like, You know what? I, I'm awful at the bass. Why don't one of you boys pick it up? And I'm just going to stay here and hang with this woman. And unfortunately, after the Beatles left, Stewart died of a brain hemorrhage.
0: And, and looking at the Beatles' music too, I, I've always, I think everybody breaks it into like two very distinct periods. Right, there's the really early stuff and then there's the stuff after they discover drugs.
2: I like to refer to them as the black and white Beatles and then the psychedelic Beatles. Me personally, I will always love the black and white the black and white Beatles. So which you prefer the earlier
1: stuff? Black, the black and white Beatles, yeah. Brian? It's really hard for me to say. I'm I'm a huge Beatles fan. I got tattoos. I have a Beatles tattoo. And I also have a Rolling Stones tattoo, too. The Beatles Best, best, uh I have to say, when Abbey Road came out, that was a, their perfection. It's, Absolutely, it's almost
0: like how we were saying that the Beatles and the Stones, like you can't compare them. It's a, they're, they're almost two different bands. Those mm. eras, because like the early stuff is, it's just rocking. It's fun. It's you can so hear the American music on it. I mean, there's there's early like the um, the live at the BBC albums is some of my favorite oh, Beatles yeah. I, stuff they're doing roll over Beethoven yeah. I was listening to a driving over here
1: why don't you play a, a clip from that play That's roll fun. over Beethoven real fast let us rock out a little bit
2: They play that with so much love, like you can really tell that they're having a great time, and they just John just
1: loves Chuck Berry. Going through in my head, listening to this, like it's they weren't the beginning of rock and roll because no. they were too young, but they were definitely bringing an edge to it. Hey Bruce, pull up my Bonnie. The Beatles played background on this track for I I can't remember the guy's name.
0: So this is from the anthology, yes. anthology volume one. Okay, yes.
1: That's them in the background singing. Really? Yeah. It's like those harmonies? Oh, yeah. yeah. Everything you hear is the Beatles except for the guy singing. That's the Beatles, baby. Yeah. yeah.
2: Because then, wasn't he going to record the song like really slow, and then Beatles kind of like influenced him to I kind of pick I it up know. a little bit? I think he did. I just think I it's mean, a
1: rocking track. My notes
0: I just have here is Buddy Holly, Carl Perkins, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, and Elvis. I mean, you can just you can hear it,
1: mm. especially Carl Perkins playing yeah. George's licks right there.
0: And we talked about that in the episode around Sun Records about uh, the influence that he oh, had. Uh, he he yeah. Worshiped. They, they Carl. Always looked at him as one of the the founding. You know, as much as as much as the Stones will. Go to Chuck Berry later, and uh, Muddy Waters. The Beatles were to, to Carl Perkins, and this music is just fun. Like their image then was, they were goofy, they were silly, they were irreverent. You know, like they
1: were. Everybody had a favorite. You could be goofy like Ringo. You could be quiet like George. You could be debonair like Paul, and you could be an asshole like John. Yeah, they were.
0: <laughs> they were the ultimate pop band and somebody somebody said on Facebook like well they were just the the boy band of the sixties which were. is they were but you're by saying that you're being you're comparing yeah. them they, to the back their face
2: was on everything they yeah. like you know there were lunchboxes and dolls and they invented it well Brian Epstein
1: invented it oh well, we and he did yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, he yeah. It.
2: <laughs> what was your first exposure to the Beatles do you remember the first time like your first exposure
1: growing up it was
0: I mean it was always on in my house Which I think that a lot of people that we were asking on Facebook which one was better, Mm. a lot of people said, I grew up listening to the Beatles. Beatles. Exactly. Not a lot of people said, I grew up listening to the Stones. (laughs) That was something (laughs) you
2: discovered on your own. own, Yeah,
1: yeah. The first time I heard the Beatles was at McCusker's Tavern. I was just a lad. And you hear the jukebox, and I remember hearing uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, or A Day in a Life of, especially the end of the Day in a Life of, with that totally orchestra orgasmic build up,
0: yeah, it, it just scared the shit out of me. Sergeant Pepper's is an absolutely just perfect album yeah, from okay. front to back, every song. So the Beatles are they're doing all that, then they come to America, and then it's on like Donkey Kong, right? Dude, so crazy. they they come to. The Ed Sullivan Show, 1965, and I was looking up some shit around that, and they said that like 73 million people watched that. That's crazy. That's 34% of everyone in the U.S. Granted, Everybody there's like watching. three channels to choose from. It's not like sure. today,
2: but- Because they landed that day, didn't they? They landed earlier that day in the U.S. They or something like that. They didn't
1: know where the hell they were. They just knew they were in America.
2: They flew over like New York City- And they were just mesmerized by the the buildings. Nothing like today. You have to
1: understand where the Beatles come from. The Beatles come from nothing. George Harrison, his house, when he was a kid, had an outhouse. Mm -hmm. They were the poorest as the poor you can be. The neighborhood in Liverpool that they all lived in was all decayed. From all the bombs from World War Two, you know they played. They, it was their playground. Was the rubble, mm. you know? But then to come to America and they go it's first class, and you're in all the hotels, yeah, yeah, And you know you're eating all the food and you're banging all the girls, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and there's
2: no, and there's no parents around because they're still young guys, you yeah. Know? And and especially it, George.
1: George was like seventeen when he
2: went to Hamburg. You know, and, he was
0: young. And that's a great point too, because we were the image that they had when they started playing music. They wanted to dress in the leather jackets and the bad yeah. boys. And Brian Epstein was like, "No, no, no! You need to present yourself as you're more uh, well-to-do. You're British. You're proper. You need to wear the suits, and you can grow your hair out a little bit and have your dance moves but... a little
2: bit, dude." That was like crazy nonsense yeah. going on when they. But the thing is that they really fit that mold. They put the suits on, especially John Lennon. Very, very smart guy, very quick witted, very, you know, you listen to so many interviews and it's like off the cuff. Like when they go off, like, oh, did you get a haircut today? Yeah, I got one yesterday. You're like, well, laughing. No, I'm dead serious. Like, you know, seriously. Oh, you have a name for that. Okay. See,
1: like, I, I said it when we were talking about Elvis. See, everybody broke Elvis's balls, but he was such a gentleman. He, he took it, you know, oh, it's all right. You only put it with a hound dog, I'll be a hound dog. When the Beatles came, like I said, they were from the, you know, she, middle of the ghetto. John Lennon was a teddy boy, what they call. And he was a rough, rough dude. Like, nobody messed with John Lennon um, as a kid. He was just a teddy boy. Do you know what a teddy boy is? No. Teddy boy is like... Like a greaser. Like a greaser compared to, like, a really tough kid. Just... You don't mess with. It's Is like that, the
2: beginning of punk rock, like the original punk rock.
1: But he was so witty. He was like making them the joke. Yeah, like yeah. they were trying to make him a joke, and he was like, "Fuck you! I'm going to make you the joke." Yeah. What do you call that haircut, Fred?
0: Yeah. Arthur. Yeah. Arthur. Whatever. So, what do you when I say the Beatles? Do you think
1: of that the the four guys
0: in the suits on I, Ed Sullivan, Sullivan? Do you think of the later? I think of a later. You think of the beards and the long hair and the. I
1: don't. I necessarily don't think. I, I think white album, like those images on the white album, like they're they're wearing their own clothes. Yeah,
2: like Sergeant Pepper. I never that image doesn't even ever come to my to, to in my head. Like just the image. Of so you're the, thinking more like on the roof.
1: At the I'm end. thinking on the roof, like the of Abbey Road. Like they're all dressed, which is a great album cover. Like there's mm-hmm. so much behind that; it's amazing. But I like them in their street gear. I like that. But I mean, I love the yeah 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 and everything. Like, but. I don't know, I'm a rough around the edges kind of guy. Like my first exposure was a hard day's night. I think it was anyway.
2: And I remember like, what is this? And just watching it and just being mesmerized just by these these songs and I'm not... A very visual guy when it comes down to music. I made a, a comment to a friend of mine yesterday. <laughs> That's watched, why we're
0: not? We don't do yeah. We don't do videos.
2: <laughs> like we we're gonna watch the wall the other night. I'm like oh, I'd rather not. I don't like any visuals yeah. toward my toward my music. But for some reason, the beginning of the Beatles, like a hard day's night. I like I I
1: love the Marx Brothers growing up. I yeah. love them and like that just really really spoke. Ringo to me. has the greatest line in here in there, and he's like, "Are you a rocker or a mod?" He's like, "I'm a mocker." <laughs>
0: Yeah. But when you, Ryan, when you just said that you're a rough around the edges guy, you think of more of them in their street clothes. I think is that the Beatles, that's their, their more sophisticated and intellectual. Absolutely. And you have to be a little more pinky out with music to really get to understand that. That's me. So you're rough around <laughs> the edges. And that's right. You're a socialite, as we discussed yeah, last yes. week. I'm um, um, a little rough s- around the edges. we're but... snob
2: sort of music a lot. So
0: I, yeah. I totally think of the Ed Sullivan, the black and white, mm-hmm. and they're all jamming their yeah. heads back and forth and the same kind of – you know the the body swaying and the head's going. But that's, that's just me again. No. Like I, I said before, I – I tend to gravitate towards that early 50s I'm sure, sound.
1: I'm sure the majority of people see them as the yeah, yeah, yeah guys.
0: That, but they, maybe that'll be the next poll we do. We asked everybody, Beatles and Stones, like, which era? Like, what do you think yeah. of? It'd be yeah. cool.
1: That'd be hard. I mean. That would be hard. I would I would definitely have to say uh, towards the end of the Beatles was the, the best of the Beatles. And we were saying,
0: too, I mean, the best of the the end of the Beatles is only 10 years only after 10 years. the beginning of the Beatles. So the beginning I mean, and the end. Like, think about that first. Like, I don't know. Think of Pearl Jam. Sure. Pearl Jam has been releasing music for 30 years. Just just think of any band that you like and it, try to-, it, try to it's, comp- it's
2: amazing.
1: Like 10 years, what these guys did in 10 years. Dude. In a decade. Literally a decade. They have 27 number one hits. 27 number one hits.
2: They had all five,
0: five. of the top 100 at the same time.
2: Yeah, and they had seven- on this, the seven other ones lower in the uh in the billboard that year 64 I, I think it
0: was i put a couple dates in a 5 year period i just tried to like i didn't want to do the whole thing august 65 help december 65 rubber soul august 66 revolver may 67 sergeant pepper november 67 magical mystery tour november 68 the white album january 69 yellow submarine September 69, Abbey Road, May of 70, Let It Be. That's less than five years. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, no seven, wonder they nine fucking, albums.
1: No wonder they fucking broke up.
0: Right. Jesus and I Christ. Have, and I have some stuff on that, too, on how they, they burned out and they, uh, they just kind of flame out. Yeah, April 4th, 1964, they had 12 songs in the Billboard Top yeah.
2: 100, including number one through five. They were the only band ever to knock themselves out of number one twice. That's that's crazy. No band has ever been that prolific. But, um, you know, you're at the top of your game, and then, okay, I don't know if I'm moving a little bit too forward in our timeline here, but when John says, like, you know, we're we're bigger than Jesus Christ, I don't think he said I'm bigger than Jesus Christ, we're, we're just as big as Jesus Christ.
1: I don't know the exact quote, but he just said he was bigger than Jesus, Jesus Christ.
2: And it's just like, you know, how how many times can you you know, everywhere you turn like they were the most photographed person of in
1: like of the '60s. But he said it was taken out of context. It he said like he said I should have said TV was bigger or, than Jesus. Right, that would have made like a that. lot more sense. Yeah,
2: but there's so like imagine that like pressure. You can't even walk down the street. You can't even do that. They bought an island in in Greece. I think they they bought an island together. So, a place to so they go. could go without getting anybody yelling at them and screaming at them. Like, I'm sure they enjoyed it to a point, but that's why they didn't stop. They stopped playing tours. They stopped touring. Like, man, let's just, you can't hear it anyway. Yeah,
0: so they're they're putting out a new single or a new album every few months. I mean, it is like, so they explode. They're fucking huge. And it's every, like, month, there's something God. else. Like, they take a three-month break after they come out with Revolver, and I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves. But the three month break, they were like, "We're done. We need a three month break." That is the longest stretch in their career they go without making music.
1: They wrote and that song. Can you song. imagine? They wrote that song Tax Man, and they got the hell out. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah. Right. Could you? Could you imagine? Like any band that you were a fan of, and if they said, "We're going to take three months off and not come
2: out with something yeah, new,"
1: especially then, right? And everything they fucking did was was
2: um just blew it up. But it's such a machine though. At that point, you have like record executives. You have. I'm I'm sure Brian took care of all that, and um. Like just imagine, like trying to live like that for ten years, like just being pressured this the, and that. You the know?
1: smartest thing they did was just keep on changing. Yeah, even the suits in the beginning were changing; they were those classic black suits, and then towards Rubber Soul and re- Revolver, they were wearing corduroy.
0: Yeah, you can see in the the cover of Rubber Soul, like the hair's a little longer. Yeah. What else from that era can we play? I feel like we're we're getting ready from to Rubber Soul. Just no, I feel like we're getting ready to start moving into the more psychedelic era. We got eight days a week on here. We got some other I got something for you. Hank.
1: All right, what do you what do you want? Let's do the best song that's on rubber soul. Let's do in my life. Sure. All
0: right. All right. So we're still we're kind of we're kind of coming up to the era where they're ready to make that step from the early generation to the later era. So let's play In My Life from Rubber Soul. Let's play thirty seconds of that.
1: But before you do that, you know, think this is a band that was going yeah, 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 and everybody was saying they were stupid, just stupid, stupid people. Then listen to John sing, man. Well, Let me
0: look. You know what? Like, can we let's play like thirty seconds of Eight Days a Week? Okay. And then okay, go on yeah. because it's like a yeah. real poppy. Okay. Yeah. And maybe you can kind of hear the the difference here. So here's Eight Days a Week. Love that beginning.
2: has a head shaking thing.
3: Love, Guess you know it's true. Hope you need my love babe just like I need you. How me About the hand claps love yep. me
0: There's something when they go from mono to stereo because you could hear the. the uh, hand it's the thing. Yeah, yeah, that's the would.
1: best thing of listening to the Beatles as they go back and forth to your headset. Or yeah, and I stereo. I'd,
0: all right, so that so that's the the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. pop, yeah, pop
1: bubblegum. They're yeah. still making those songs. Yeah,
0: so then you're saying let's listen to some "In My how, Life" and Robert Soul. Just
1: how deep did they were listening to Bob Dylan by now? You know.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's listen to 30 seconds of that and hear the difference.
3: There are places I remember all my life though some have changed some forever not for better some have gone and some remain
1: all these places How I heavy those lyrics are for such a young guy
0: And you know what as we're sitting here you know we're all we got all of our podcast shit on and we've all have like relatively decent headphones on mm-hmm. you Dude. you experience
1: it differently. Dude, you gotta listen it on vinyl. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> Go out, buy a record player. You you're talking to me. <laughs> I'm
2: talking, talking to you, fan. homeboy. You're not talking to the fans. You're talking to no, me. No, I'm talking to you, homeboy. But from going from like from what like eight days a week to that, it's it's unimaginable. You know, it really is unimaginable.
1: And that's George Martin's brilliance. Yeah. So it's also drugs. Well, yeah. They were smoking pot, you know. It was the beginning. It was opening their mind. They were reading books, different kind of books, different poetry.
0: Rubber Soul comes out December 65.
1: Yeah, yesterday. Or Or today.
0: 1965. (laughs) George Harrison and John Lennon are having dinner with George's dentist. One, who the fuck goes to dinner with their dentist? Yeah, yeah. My, if my dentist isn't listening to this— Well, if he had good drugs, I wouldn't have to well, and, and, <laughs> and he just right. you got to find another dentist. And Timothy Leary needs to be my dentist. He decides that he's going to put LSD in their coffee after yeah. dinner. And they decide that they, they trip, they enjoy it, and that kind of leads them into the psychedelic phase— Hinduism, meditation, they go to India, all this other kind of stuff, and the music just completely changes.
1: They changed the world once they dropped acid. Well, yeah. do you
2: think it, it happened more to George, anybody? Because everything you yes. just mentioned, George was a you, big George thing. Yeah. Like, George yeah. was a seeker. He was searching. Yeah.
1: He was like searching for the meaning of life. You want to hear something really funny about George, about the, his whole Indian yeah. thing? yeah. This really interesting thing that I read about George Harrison's mother when she was pregnant. She really loved music, and she would play Indian Hindu music up against her stomach while she was pregnant with George. How crazy is that?
2: He felt it in his soul for his whole life. He came out of the womb with it. You know? Right. Yeah. So then he he gets really into
0: Hinduism and mysticism, and the whole band goes to India, and they're hanging out with the Maharishi, and there's some other – like. Well, John Maharishi's John throws like, all bullshit. Yeah, the, the, like, the whole time he's trying there. to like fuck the girls yeah, and yeah, all this yeah. other
2: kind of stuff. And then they start asking for money, and he's yeah. like, "Yeah, that's the end." And of they that. all
0: bolt, but George Harrison stays there. Yeah, yeah, and and he—you're right—he always kind of had this spiritual thing, and then he he does like, the concert of Bangladesh, which I have yeah. some shit on later, and that's great.
1: And I I think he saw. The bullshit between Monterey but he got the idea he yeah. got what the message was he's like the intellectual of the Beatles they said he was a quiet one the yeah. shy one he was the funniest but one yeah he's
0: also an amazing guitar player Ryan you talked before about there's just shit in music where the stars line up and it's just perfect and I can think of no better example that these four guys all just happened to they just run
1: into each, each other,
2: other. Yeah. right and we'll do you talk think Ringo got lucky? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll talk a little Ringo's bit. Ringo's the too. luckiest guy in rock and roll. You know, it's like, and the, the chances of what if, like, somebody's
0: toilet gets clogged and they're five minutes late to the bus and they never sure. meet them. It's just. I think people are destined
1: to meet in their life. Yeah. You know, and especially Actually, with the Beatles. Too. like, you know, I think John and Paul had this connection you know, both of their mothers died very young and they were motherless running around Liverpool, motherless like that. And they found each other and they looked after each other and they made it successful with each other. I, I just think something, the stars together, Liverpool, they met together.
0: And how many bands have we already talked about that shit like that has happened? You know, people, they're kind of down on their luck and they find each other. Uh, the guys from Motley Crue. Yeah.
2: Sure. Axl Rosen slash. Like there's all these kind but, of guys that. Music just brings you together. Yeah. You know, it just it just really does. Like it's an emotion. If you know, you've like,
1: ever played in a band, you know, like there's a camaraderie there that's irreplaceable.
2: Yeah. I, I can't agree more. You know, you, you get in some bands and some bands are okay. And then some bands you get in the fucking singer's an asshole. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh And but, then you get another ones where you have like a lifelong bond with these guys. And I like been a, quite a few bands and I got lifelong friends out of this.
1: Totally. It's, we just talked to a bunch of guys that were in our original band. Yeah, Thanksgiving, yeah. We did a band 20 years ago called Nico Fly. Get it on Spotify if you have the nerve to listen to it.
2: <laughs> it's not. It's 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 actually good. You know, you just have a bond. And I think it's really something to say when two guys get successful. All right. Well, you wrote a song. I wrote a song. We're just going to put both our names on every yeah. song that and,
1: we, and- we have and- But you know what was more fucked up in my opinion is that they pay attention to Ringo's songs way more than they pay attention to George's songs. That's
2: that's absolutely crazy. And you see like in the the Let It Be movie, if you've ever seen it, and George is sitting there like, all right, I won't play anything. I'll just say I've been in that position. I'm like, you know what? I – if that's what I, you want. I, I'll do whatever you want me to do.
0: You know what? I, I watched that YouTube clip today yeah. of the two of them arguing with George. It's like they're so, fine.
2: I'll just play, play whatever you want. What, it,
0: it, don't play my songs because it's it's just gonna you're gonna it's gonna be an afterthought anyway. You know what's
2: really funny about that? And some of those songs that he tried putting there, put on his first album, album yeah. All Things Must Pass, which in my opinion is the best X beatle album out there. You know, solo album, solo album. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm trying to tackle this linearly, and we're up to Rubber Soul. And Rubber Soul is, we're saying that's kind of where everything changes. So they start, they stop thinking about the singles and are thinking about the album. And a huge reason of that is because in 66, they say, we're not touring anymore. Yeah, And they say, we physically and technologically cannot make a sound loud enough to get over the screaming fans. They had engineers trying to make special amps. Yeah. And they still couldn't Fox. do it. I
2: think there were like 500 watt amps. Yeah. I think
0: they were. Fox and so yeah. the last show that they play is Candlestick Park. Yeah. The first arena concert. Yeah. Amazing. And they're just like, we're done.
2: They were they were coming to the stage and leaving and going to the stage in an armored truck, I think it was. And they're in the back of the armored truck leaving the show. And they're like, that's it. We're done. Like, this is the end of this shit. Yeah. And they announced
0: that they're not touring anymore. We're done. We're, done. Yeah. we're
1: out. Don't you see... Like, what's the weird coincidence to say... We're not going to tour no more and Brian Epstein dies. And then now a year later a, a year later and you know everything they have success up to that point is because of Brian Epstein. He invented Beatlemania. He did all that. He made it. Now he's dead. Now they get to do what they want to do. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily that. R- like the machine stops, the you know. machine stops, but that's when Sergeant Pepper came out, yeah. and they start doing what they wanted yeah. to do. But, so, they,
2: but they took that when Brian died. You know, I read quite a few things about that. Like he had a really close relationship with John, and that's questionable to some people, and that's fine. But um, like they took that really
1: hard. They took. They like, didn't know what they were going to do. How would yeah. you?
2: How would you know? You know, I don't know. From, I
1: mean, management. He's <laughs> just as part of
2: the band is like anybody. Like you know.
1: So they
0: they stopped touring and now they're like, they were writing songs always thinking that they had to be able to play it live. The weird connection I made in my head is kind of how the music industry has completely changed over the last like 10 years. And now it's like, Bands don't make money on album sales anymore. They make money by touring. We'll release something on Spotify, hoping that you will pay big bucks to come see us live. And it's kind of the flip side of that. that they're like, well, we can't even, we're not even going to try.
1: The Beatles were on the same page of how it was now. Like now. They had to play to get paid because they had such a bad record. Contract, right? But they and then they walk from it and they are like, "We're done." And now
0: we're gonna, we're wiping the slate clean. We're no longer writing for this defined box. that need the four of us need to come out and make mm-hmm. a sound that we can reproduce, and we can do whatever we want. And that's when they made Apple. And right? then that just shit just just explodes, right? It leads to Apple Records and yeah. all this amazing music that just pushes the envelope those songs are wild on sergeant pepper before we get to sergeant pepper we've got revolver
1: oh Oh. i'm sorry my other favorite album yeah
0: so and and revolver is where they get psychedelic and a lot of people say that revolver is their best album i i still argue with sergeant pepper well
1: like look look at it like you have Elmore Rigby on revolver you have good day sunshine on there what a great song that is play good day sunshine real fast Drops some acid, Sure Drops some acid.
3: Good day sunshine I need to laugh And when the sun is out I've got something I can laugh It's a fun album you look, at, look at all the songs In a special way I'm in love and it's a sunny day Good day sunshine
1: now, let me tell you guys, I'm the only one sitting at this table that's probably done acid. <laughs> I never, yeah. And never done it. that song is the trip, brother.
0: That's the feeling. And I, see, to me, I just thought of like, I'm waking up in, on a, a May... Sunday morning, sure. yeah. the windows are open. Yeah. There's a, ble- a breeze, a breeze blowing. That's the feeling,
3: brother.
0: feeling. I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm making, I'm making breakfast for my wife, and there's a nice breeze blowing Brian's in. in you're like, acid. I'm, so- I'm every
1: <laughs> Everything is perfect. The world is one. We can open the windows, feel the breeze.
2: But going back to, uh, not going back to rubber, but in rubber soul. Okay, Brian's talking about like drug influence and everything like that. Get you back into my life. That's a that Paul McCartney wrote that about marijuana. You listen to the word, the lyrics of That's it. That's a
1: banging song. Yeah, I love that you song. Listen, but
2: you just, I never knew that up until recently. And then he wrote that song Every about marijuana. Songs about smoking pot. But it's just, it. you just listen to the words of of that, and it's like it's it's
1: completely they, obvious. But they were being like they were writing songs that were above the level, like Eleanor Rigby. Right. Play play a little shot of Eleanor Rigby, and you can hear George Martin's. And it wasn't very long before that they were going, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the timeline, it's, it's a year and a half.
1: To that, to do a masterpiece.
0: And then it's less than a year later, Sgt. Pepper comes out. And that's the first album that instead of recording songs with the four, the four of them all in the studio at the same time, they recorded track by track with George Martin. And that now is—that's just a standard operating procedure for how bands are being uh, recording. But back then, when they are doing by tracks, they would record stuff. And if you had the spliced tape, you literally had a dude with a razor blade cutting the tape and and putting it back together. And there's so many cool stories about that. Brian, I think you were going to talk about it was being for the benefit of Mr. Kite and how he got the lyrics from the whole thing off
1: of a poster. Yeah, it's one of my favorite stories, John Lennon's stories. He really took notice to the poster— And like imagine this song or imagine this circus going on in his head. You know, I really love the lyrics. I think it's one of the best songs on Sgt. Pepper. It's definitely one of the most inventive songs. For
3: the benefit of Mister Kite, there will be a show tonight.
2: And
1: everything that he's saying is on the poster. All those words he's saying is on the poster. I have
2: to go look at that poster. I never knew that. Yeah, you would see it on the I, internet. He,
1: there's a picture of him standing next to the, yeah, the I, poster. I, I know the picture you're talking about, but I never looked at the poster,
2: like, analyzed it. Yeah, it and I love that song because, I, it's like, the Beatles have those songs you have, like, a little, like, story. that Like, Rocky Raccoon. I have, like, a Western playing in my head. Yeah. You know, I mean like, that song I have, you know, like and the carneys walking around Right, and the stuff.
0: quirkiness of it, like, it has that carnival sound yes. which is not anything like that's not in rock and roll music up yeah. until then and john lennon's voice is double tracked that wasn't going no, on they, in music at the they time going,
2: going back to the recording
0: the first two songs they record is part of the Sgt. pepper studio sessions or strawberry fields forever and penny lane and they get released because the beatles hadn't put out a single in seven months wow so those be, those just explode They're totally after and and you'd imagine how Magical and perfect that album would be mm-hmm. had those two yeah. been on there too. Yeah. Like, and that's a double A side yeah. single. So there's no yeah. B side to that. They're both just huge hits. And then Brian Epstein dies of an overdose of sleeping pills. It's a shame. It's and, a sh- such young age. And John Lennon, I was reading a, a quote from John Lennon after he died, and he just said, Well, we fucking had it now. D-
1: yeah, uh, we're they were fucked. fucked
2: now. They were <laughs> fucked. But they, you know, he was really hurt. Like, you know, he was really friendly with. But look what he
1: did for them. But he bes- changed their lives.
2: Yeah. But besides that, but I really think there, there's a French. He was with them. Yeah, just, he was friends with them. For those guys were together all the time. Guess who's with them? He was with them all the time. Let me tell
1: you something. Brian Epstein was more of a father to John Lennon sure. than John Lennon never had a father. Sure. Who
0: is the fifth Beatle? Is it Brian Epstein or George Martin?
1: George Martin. Definitely, because George yeah, Martin on didn't a musical die. level, yeah, all that, all that stuff that George McCart- Martin. Did- so
0: McCartney says Epstein was the fifth Beatle, but
1: well, what does he know?
0: Right, <laughs> he's not a socialite. Is he and McCusker's doing his podcast? But, I think not. But at
2: the same time, like Ep- Epstein, you know his background real fast. Like his parents owned a record store or some kind of something like that, and he knew music, so yeah. he heard this band and he heard something in it. And he knew he could make this work. He knows what sells. He he worked around. He would sell albums that he knew nothing about.
0: You know, one of the great things of the Beatles is that they have brilliant people around them to help them. That is all. The people around them also is what
2: brings them down. But don't you think it's funny? Anybody who had anything ever to do with the Beatles is famous. You think about it. Like, like not get too much management from like Brian Epstein. They all wrote books. Yeah. Who, who's the guy who did the uh, the Revolver cover? He was a friend of them from Hamburg. They met him in Hamburg. I for, Forgive me, everybody, I forget his name, but he designed the album cover. They knew him from the beginning. So we're talking
1: about Sgt. Pepper, and that album cover is amazing. There's so many celebrities hidden in that album cover. It's unbelievable. There's a lot of 19th century British prime ministers and writers and poets and everything, but then you get like Tony Curtis... Marilyn Monroe, Stan Laurel.
0: The inside the CD would have a picture of the album and each of the heads were numbered with like a list
1: of who they were. Yeah. Yeah. Like Oscar Wilde was in there. David Livingston was in there. Marlon Brando was in there. And and of course they had the little girl in the Rolling Stones sweater. I I believe it was like the Let It It Bleed sweater. It looked like... What a great album cover. And they had so much to do with putting that album cover together. But you know what's really funny about that? Like Shirley Temple's in there.
2: So Shirley Temple wanted to let them use her image without her knowing what she's putting her – like being a part of. So she demanded to hear the album before the album actually came out. So she, Shirley Temple got to listen to the album before anybody else did. Hmm. She's like,
1: I had no idea what's going on Yeah, right she now. had no
2: idea there's another famous like bombshell in there and i, f- I forget who it is james Matfield, maybe it was yeah and they all wrote her a letter personally to say we like we love you and we we have you on our on our new album cover and i love that they have
1: themselves on the album cover as the as the please please me beatles sure like this is the past and now the sergeant pepper is the future
0: and that was also the first album that ever printed the lyrics to all the songs in them too. Yeah. Really, in and that's UK, really, yeah. you could argue that's the first uh, concert or the first concept album too. I mean, like, it, I think this is the first one. So it well, was yeah. groundbreaking in so many different. It directions. was such
1: a great album they took out. Doug, I remember when we found Mom's yeah. copy. Yeah. I have that of I Sergeant still have Pepper. It. I still have it. It I has. It. it has like the cutouts of the mustaches... Yeah, it's on paper. ...and the glasses. and It was really yeah. nicely put together. Yeah. I still have it. I still have it. It's yeah. really
0: cool. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, after Sergeant Pepper and after Brian Epstein died, the people that fill that void that Brian Epstein left really starts leading to their demise. Other people get involved, and part of it is because they start getting married, they start having kids, yeah. and all these other people... Start driving wedges between them, and it kind of falls apart. Even though they still make a shit ton of great music, and you've still got three years of amazing stuff that comes out of them. Mm. Yeah, you, know, you still got the Magical Mystery Tour, the White Album, Yellow Submarine, Abbey
1: Road. The White Let Album is one of my favorite. I have a huge conspiracy against the White Album. Are we gonna skip? Can, are we gonna skip up to the White Album? Let's take the Magical Mystery Tour right up to the White Album. Okay. Well, the Magical Mystery Tour. Was a movie that they made for Boxing Day in England. Yeah. England. It's the, day, the day after Christmas, they celebrate Boxing Day. So they open all their presents that day. They showed the movie and they showed it in black and white when it was made in color. And oh. it. Was- it was solely not understood. Yeah, I'm it's not odd. a big fan. It's I'm not really... A big fan. I think you have to be English to really like it. Yeah. And that's that humor, yeah, yeah. that tongue-in-cheek humor to yeah, it. Yeah, the Mighty Python, which George had
2: a lot to do with with making Life of Brian, but I want to get on subject. The,
1: sound, the soundtrack to, to Magical Mystery Tour is the best. I was on the Magical Mystery Tour back in like 2000-something. On the
2: bus. On the bus.
1: Yeah. yeah, the actual... I was on the actual bus, <laughs> and I took a tour of it. I had pictures of it. I it was, it was awesome. I was thinking to myself, John Lennon was probably sitting right here in this spot, but it was up in Center City at the Hard Rock, and I, I ran up there to check That's it out. That's cool. John was tripping the face sitting right here.
0: John was tripping balls. And the White Album also just has a, a shit ton of just great songs on it. The out. White Album.
1: This is my conspiracy about the White Album. And so we're talking about drugs. And the Beatles, they really experimented with a lot of drugs. And- heroin is definitely one of them i think the white album is their heroin album sure it's white you know at the time it was called china white it's just right off the back happiness is a warm gun yeah right off the back and then there's like other fucking weird songs on there like number nine i don't know if you ever listen to happiness and it was a warm gun mm-hmm. you ever put that up to like being a heroin addict i haven't check it play a couple of minutes of or shoot some know. h and then
0: yeah, listen to yeah, yeah. It. listen to an Yeah, it really um, so I got and also, right here. And also, part of that is is John is with Yoko now. Yeah, because she she has a miscarriage, and they kind of dump into being. They they really go hardcore into heroin. Yeah. after yeah. that, like yeah, and she's kind of fucking around. Like she comes into the White Album sessions, and she's playing on Revolution Number One, and
1: <laughs> she wants to play with the band. They were so fucked up. She
0: she puts herself on the level as somebody in the band which I Christ yeah play a second of all it. right happiness we, is a one guy this God. is my
1: favorite she's not
3: a girl who misses much oh yeah she's well acquainted with the touch of the velvet hand like a lizard on a window pane. The man in the crowd with the multicolored mirrors
1: on his half nail boots. Lying with his eyes yeah, we should while his him. hands It's great. He goes, I'm in a fix and I'm going down, down.
2: But you got to think what's going on during that time. Like Vietnam's like kind of like kicking off and this and that. It's like everything's going on. So, you know, they did Revolution and John got really, really – Got a lot of shit because he's like, don't you know you can count me out? Because he wasn't to the point where everybody's like, come on, let's burn down this and burn down that. And he's not really sure about where he fits in all this because, you know, he's, he's high society now. He's like John Lennon. I and think
1: the Beatles had a, a reputation to protect and Yeah. But he, he had did, it
2: angry, man. Like, just angry. Oh, about well, he the, was always angry. From yeah.
1: day one he was born, he was an angry guy. Yeah, That's what made him such a great rock and roll star.
0: One of my favorite songs on that album was Helter Skelter. And I was- uh watch because it's so different sounding sure and i i was reading uh i watched a youtube video an interview with mccartney and he said uh pete he was driving somewhere and they were playing an interview with pete towns from the who and he said we've just written quote the dirtiest loudest (laughs) filthiest song ever And McCartney said, he still doesn't even know what song that was, (laughs) but he said he went in the studio and said, we have to outdo that. Uh, (laughs) And he wrote it. And he talked about some people say that's the first heavy metal song.
1: Dude, it totally is. I mean, it was such a heavy metal song. Charles Manson had to ruin
0: it. (laughs) Right. And it really does get written off by, it it gets discredited because of Manson being i I'm going to
1: start something right now. We're in the prisoners of rock and roll. We're in a jail. I want to see a pardon. Okay,
0: let's do it. We're going to pardon pardon Helter Helter Skelter -Skelter
1: from everything bad that was put against Helter Skelter, and we're going to take it as the first heavy metal song. And Paul McCartney rocks the fuck out of it. That, that
0: makes me feel better when we sentence a song to death later. So we're karmically neutral by the end of the show. Yes. So I, <laughs> That's I, I, what I the can, show's all about. I can walk well with Jesus now knowing that we sentenced one to death, but we also issued a pardon. So, so the White Album, we've covered the Magical Mystery Tour. Yellow Submarine comes out 69.
1: Another movie.
0: Yeah. Cartoon. Cartoon.
1: Did they do the voices on that? They didn't. They did not. They were in it for like very briefly. The soundtrack is fun, though. There's a lot of great Beatle hits that are on on that album.
0: And then Abbey Road comes out and then Let It Be. And we're kind of at the...
1: Yeah, Abbey Road. Well, which is a crazy thing that Let It Be was recorded before Abbey Road. Why don't you... You were talking about... The Beatles' next manager. Yeah, well,
0: Epstein died, and the new manager decides he wants a new album. The new manager, Alan Klein, who also managed the the Stones. And he starts pushing them to get back into the studio and do this thing called the Get Back Project, Mm -hmm. which was going to be a concert and a documentary kind of thing. And the Beatles, by this point are not getting along with each other. There's a point where Paul and Ringo show up to do the studio sessions, a camera crew was there, and George and John just don't show up. George had jokingly, George had said a couple of days before that he wasn't playing anymore because he was pissed off because Lennon was a heroin junkie, and then Lennon said basically, like, well, fuck you, I'll just get Eric Clapton to play your sure. parts anyway. <laughs> so George doesn't show up, and the press is there, uh-huh. and they're supposed to play a final farewell concert. And at some point they realize it's not coming together. And that's where they decided they're going to go up on the roof of Apple. Right. And they, you know, they put their shit aside and they and they start doing that. They get through it. You know, they do that final show. The get back project turns into the let it be recordings. Okay. Their new manager is so is not happy with how it's going. So he just brings in Phil Spector. And Phil Spector Ruins it. Fucks it all up.
1: Ruins Um, it. He must have been really fucked up on drugs. Yeah. So, all right. So maybe. I love Let It Be. I really do. Yeah. It's dark. It's a dark album. I love everything about it, even though Phil, Phil Spector part of it i know they released the let it be naked that we all listen to we all agree that's our new version yeah. of let it be that you we have listen
2: to don't ever listen to the old one again listen to let it be naked for now on but
1: i i love let it be
2: i love i got a feeling what well, y- the song let it be is just if you had an like an honest pure song is let it be like paul said he he had a dream one night his mother came his mother died when he was really young and it was a vision of his mother coming and just saying, listen, whatever bee's going to be, be but just let it be. And yeah, like, Mother it. Mary comes to me. Like, it's a really, if you
1: listen no, to the words, yeah.
2: it's very she beautiful like, and
1: very honest song. Yeah, Paul it's, McCartney is a Gemini like we are. We have the same birthday. birthday. Yeah. Yeah, me, I play bass. yeah <laughs> we're, we're cut from the same cloth, me, yeah. Doug, and Paul. Yeah, we understand them all. You know the wives are all around
0: now, and there's new management. It's really like when Brian Epstein died. It just kind of like went right. It just left them kind of unshielded, and they didn't know how to keep the unit tight and the drugs. And now, like there's business considerations and there's money involved, and it just it just falls apart. And people that are really close to that look back at those Let It Be sessions and say like how sad that was. Like it you was tell sad. that they were, if
1: you watch the movie, it's sad. Yeah,
0: bro. they're so brilliant together. But with that many big, talented people, it's just
2: not going to work. Yeah. They made a great album, though. How long did that go on for? How long did the session— It's probably about a couple of weeks. Yeah, that session went for a couple yeah. weeks. Yeah. But, like, you know, Paul wanted to keep everybody together.
1: Paul likes making money. Yep.
2: Yeah, and at the same time, and then John thought, well, he's just trying to
1: turn the band into no. his— Yeah. And, you John know, was all a that. fucking blown-out junkie by then. Yeah. Yeah,
0: he's pretty, yeah, pretty yeah. jacked yeah. up yeah. at that point.
1: So they did let it be, first— but then they didn't put it out. So the next thing they did was Abbey Road, which I think is a masterpiece. They said, we're going to do one more album, and we're going to get George Martin to produce it. And John Lennon was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going that. Whatever the situation was. And they they were like, listen, this is going to be the last album, and we're done. And boy, did they make a fucking last album. I think that second side is a masterpiece.
0: And that album the artwork too is just you know Them like, everybody knows that
1: that image of that like you ever hear that story with that that's about if you pull up the picture of Abbey Road album cover you see John Lennon in the front of it John Lennon is the priest next to him is Ringo Ringo is the funeral director next in line is Paul McCartney and he's barefoot and he is the corpse and his his other foot's Forward, a right? different forward, and the last one is George Harrison, and he's supposed to be the ditch digger.
0: So, this is where the whole Paul is dead that's like,
1: I mean, where well they came, tapped in that that, into that, came like Sgt. In. That,
2: Pepper's, and you know,
1: yeah, but but that's what the album cover always said that was nah, that's all bullshit, though. No, it's not,
2: it's real, <laughs> it's real. When I was on acid, but, it told me but, it was right, but people believe that, like, even to this day, they write books about it, like, like Paul because it's dead. true. Okay. So damn me. it.
1: <laughs> the Beatles, they were the greatest band. They changed the world. They changed the way people think. It's such a shame that we lost John Lennon in a violent way. This year will be the fortieth anniversary of John Lennon's death. Guy named Mark David Chapman He's shot him shit. down right in front of his house, asked him for an autograph first and then shot him.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean you can you can see pictures of him standing behind John haunting. Lennon. It's It's Like it it's is haunting.
1: He was up for parole a few times and they're like, You're never getting yeah, the man. fuck out of jail. Yeah, because somebody will fucking shoot him.
0: When John Lennon died, he was 40 years old. How much brilliant music did we get deprived of?
2: He was just getting started. He had a brand new album coming out as a restart. He was he was raising yeah. his kid like five years prior With to
1: that. Double Fantasy just came out and they were like, listen to this album. John Lennon is back. Yeah. You know? That had to be... Like, it's still guessing. Even though Yoko was on it saying a few songs. That's all right. Well, you know. Yeah. Well, let's not get into that. There were some great songs on yeah. Double Fantasy.
0: And that's one of the things of the Beatles is all four of them went off to go do their own thing. Yeah. Right? And they were all successful. successful. And and he might have been the most successful of all of them had he continued recording. He yeah.
1: just disappeared for a good 10 years. You know, right. He, and then He, he went just, underground. And
0: then he just gets cut down. And yeah. sadly... That becomes part of the Beatles legacy too, is like they, they stop recording at their peak, you know, everything is a hit. They get the gas is going so hard in the career, they flame out, and then he dies, you know, in, in yeah. nineteen eighty.
1: Here's a guy that sang mostly about love and peace and people coming together. Do you and think he, he died in such a violent way? He was totally did not deserve nobody deserves to die like that. But a man that talked about love and peace and mankind all coming together at once, getting shot down in cold blood, such a shame.
2: You know, we talked about how angry John Lennon was in his youth. And then he said, like, here's a guy who just wanted – like, how hard did he have to overcome his own demons with his, his the death of his mother and, oh, you know, yeah. with his father and then come to this realization to become a voice of a generation and then forget being hateful. Like, let's all come together and, like, let's just work this out. And, I think that, beca- and then get shot
1: down violently. Yeah, he. I think he became more friendly in his older age. Sure, because he,
2: you he know, had, he. Of course, he. He had two sons, but his second son, he had more relationship with him, and he was just a
1: father. I mean, he, he was, watched
2: Sesame Street. Mister Rogers was his dad. He was a dad. He, he was, was forty. Yeah, he died. Right, yeah. he was younger
1: than we are. I can't believe it. Yeah, I mean, every year for a long time, I would go up to strawberry fields in New York City, and for their celebration. On December seventh. And it really is awesome. Yeah, if you never if you ever, ever have a chance to go do it, do it. The whole strawberry fields, everybody gathers around and sings Beatles songs and lights candles and it's a nice vibe. It's unbelievable. It's really cool. Yeah.
0: So why don't we play a little Imagine and we'll we'll fade out. We'll take a commercial break. We'll come back, we'll talk about the stones and then we're probably gonna take another commercial break. <laughs> yeah. And we'll come we'll come back for the third hour and maybe <laughs> we'll compare the two bands against each other. So
1: ladies and gentlemen, the late great John Lennon.
0: This episode of the Prisoners of Rock and Roll is brought to you by McCusker's Tavern, located at 17th and Shunk Streets in South Philadelphia. McCusker's Tavern has been in business for more than 50 years, making it the oldest bar west of Broad Street in a city known for its neighborhood watering holes. Minutes from the sports stadium, McCusker's is a great place to stop in for a few beers before or after a game or a concert. There's a reason why everyone from Philadelphia Magazine to Playboy have ranked it as one of the best dive bars in the city. Music is such an important part of McCusker's Tavern that we're actually recording this episode from there right now. They're currently closed due to the pandemic, but miss everyone and hope to see them soon. In the meantime, check them out on Facebook. That's McCusker's Tavern. All right, so we're back from a commercial break. We had a very long and in-depth conversation about the Beatles. That could have been an episode all in of itself. But lucky for all you listeners out there, that is only one half of it. But now that we're done with the Fab Four, we're going to pick it up and talk about the bad boys of rock and roll, the original Blues Brothers, the Rolling Stones. And after we get done talking about them, we're going to kind of put them head to
1: head and kind of settle this argument once and for all. Guys, I got to tell you something. I fucking love the Rolling Stones. How can
2: you not? The greatest rock and
1: roll band of all time. But the Stones is rock and roll. You know, Mick Jagger wrote all those songs. Interview I read, and it was Bono. And Bono asked him, yeah, how did you write all those songs? Like, some of those lyrics are just so... and, And he's like, hey kid i lived those songs that's how i wrote those songs but whatever rock and roll is about if you break that shit
0: down to the core the essence and music is or how it makes you feel that's the stones
1: that beginning of the stones when they came out they were they were just a blues band they were so dangerous yeah like so misunderstood they were dangerous they start out in london and they start recording
0: and music producers are out looking for the next Beatles. Yeah. You know, the Beatles are blown up and they're looking in London like, we, we need what's next, which is funny after you're hearing like Decca Records going like, well, guitar has no, there's no room for guitar bands in the world anymore. Like the A&R fuck up of, <laughs> of that's got to be the biggest A&R fuck up of all time. The guy who kicks the Stones off is Andrew Lug Oldham. He was a publicist who worked for Brian Epstein very early, and he sees the Stones, and in 63, he gets them signed to Decca Records, and he really wants to market them as the anti-Beatles. It's true. He tells them, like, you guys don't wear all the same suits. You don't all do the same dance. If one of your guys wants to dance on stage, that's okay, but you don't all do the same thing. Sure. The Beatles are all looking the same. They're in oh, their yeah. uniform, and they're all doing the head bop. And the Stones, he was dancing Jagger, around, like, well, right? He's dancing. He
1: uh, he invented the frontman, Mick Jagger. He did, yeah. You know, yeah. that's a great that. point. I agree he, with that. He was just on fire. Like he, he didn't know how to dance, but he pretended <laughs> that he did know how to dance. <laughs>
0: Before they went on their last tour, after he had his heart surgery, there was a famous video of him, like, dancing in front of a mirror, like, warming that, yeah. up. I
1: was like, he, oh, they gave him a baby heart. <laughs> right, I'm like,
2: he's
0: 75, and he's moving in ways that are just, like, nobody's ever, yeah, ever moved before. We've seen
1: him, like, we saw six him on your months brunch. We the, saw him on your birthday. We saw him on my birthday, but remember he had a heart – he had stems done last – or two years ago, and they postponed the Stone show. And then six months later, he comes down. He's doing fucking jumping jack flash. He's doing jumping jacks. He's running back and forth.
0: It's easy to say Freddie was the greatest of all time. You can make an argument that Mick uh, is the greatest frontman oh, great, ever.
2: Hands down. Hands down. Like – Name something that he hasn't done. Name somebody who he hasn't played with like prior or after him.
1: No, He's still so right. relevant to today. I think Mick needs Keith just like oh, Keith absolutely. needs Mick. Absolutely. And they all need each other. They yeah. all tried to do their own things. Yeah. Mick puts out his own solo stuff that, that kind of sucks. And then Keith does the expensive wino stuff which and is that pretty was fun. Great. I love it. Oh yeah, it's great. It's a, it's a great blues keith richards album if you like the way how he rocks and does everything
0: i have a half of a page of notes on the stones and i had eight pages of notes on the beatles so i'm kind of <laughs> i'm kind of wing winging this here but i sure I, one of the differences that i feel between the two of them is the beatles are something to be studied and listened to and broken down even as we were playing the songs as we're with the headphones on i was like man you can hear the one the piano falling and you can hear this year and that year the Stones aren't about that. The Stones yeah. are about how it makes you feel. If the Beatles are going to a museum, the Stones are the band that's playing in the basement after it closes. And when
2: the Stones go in the record, they just lay it down. The Beatles, like you said, they're like analyzing and like making these sounds. The Stones are just playing rock and roll. Yeah. And God. Ryan, you had you had the best analogy.
1: Of Guys, this. I had this great analogy of what the Beatles and the Stones is, like how you can compare them, how you can put them in a category. The Beatles is the person you bring home to meet your family, meet your mother, meet your father. Maybe, hell, maybe you're going to marry them one day. Who knows? The Rolling Stones is the one-night stand.
0: <laughs> the girl you meet over the summer down yeah, the shore. And let me tell
1: yeah. you something, guys. I've been through both of them, <laughs> and the Stones win every time. <laughs> I I don't have a girlfriend or anything like that, <laughs> so you know I I could say that without getting anybody in trouble. No, the Stones are like they're yeah, getting, Bruce like, is married while I'm sitting here, <laughs> they're talking about one night stands. The,
2: <laughs> it's more it's more pure to the art of rock like the art of rock and roll. Like the Beatles like did their thing and blah blah, but the Stones never stopped touring. Like okay, maybe they had like oh this is a farewell to- tour of 80, 85. the first farewell the f- tour, f- yeah. But it's just like the Stones, man. They're just. It's something completely different. It's we, it's dangerous. It's it's edgy.
0: It's, we just spent an hour and 40 minutes talking about the Beatles building up. Yeah. And the Stones, we just jumped right into why they're fucking great. Yeah, You know? Like, we didn't build a case. We, all three of us, just were like, God damn.
1: Let's start off with something here. Go Let's ahead. do it. Let's yeah. go from the beginning here. Let's tell you what the Stones were all about. Bruce, play Little Red Rooster. This is a... Old Blues Standard that the Stones picked up. It's been covered by the Grateful Dead and a bunch of other guys. And this is one of the first singles that they put out. Little Red Rooster. Check it out.
0: I mean, listen to that slide guitar. It's all Keith.
3: I am the Little Red Rooster. Too late to crow for days. I'm the little red rooster, two lanes
1: grow up a day. that's the blues baby
2: so the stones they started off their career recording other people's songs yes you know so they, they did that for a while yeah,
1: yeah I think all bands did
2: that at first well the Beatles did it too yeah, yeah. absolutely you know, but, they went, the,
0: but the stones
2: went further back sure
1: oh, yeah, right? yeah they, 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 they were went. taking blues from the, from the roll from the role, right
0: they're going before sun records and they're pulling that shit forward yeah, yeah. and what's a, the famous uh what's the story that like keith and mick met like mick was holding two chess records albums on like a yeah bu- he, in a one, bus station or something, something. No, then like, the, the story flat. was
1: the story was that keith and mick saw each other on a flat waiting for, for the train to come by and you know records were really hard to come by back then you know you don't really see them around So Mick knew Keith, and he goes, hey, what's going on? Uh, What what records you got going on? And like you said, it was like uh, and Wolf or something like that. And Mick's like, holy shit, I thought I was the only one that liked that kind of music. And they start hitting off. They got on the train together, and they start talking about having a band.
0: Again, the the stars aligning. The two guys is like— Imagine if they missed the train. Right, the chances that they're both there— and if Mick had put the albums in his other hand and he hadn't, you know, like, he's standing this way and he can't see it instead of that way. Yeah. And it just it all yeah. just lines up. And now we're 50 years later and all this great music. Uh. There's two things that the Stones have had that the Beatles don't. One is longevity. Mm. And the other one is the live performances.
1: The live performances. Everybody wants to criticize them now. You know, the old guys running around. That's bullshit. We just saw them. And and they came out and did satisfaction, and they were just as youthful as they were then.
0: Anybody who says that rock and roll is a young man's game is full of shit. It
1: gives me hope, like that I could play the drums at sixty years old. Right,
0: they're in their mid to late seventies. Sure, and I I saw them on the same tour you did,
2: and they fucking brought it, dude. I was watching Ronnie Wood play, and he's like, I think he's the youngest guy in the band. He still brings it. Like, I'm standing there in amazement watching him play.
1: It's just amazing. They, they put such a... All the money that they charge for the show, is worth, worth it. it.
0: So the Beatles get to a point in their career where they say, we can't do it anymore. We can't... Our music can't keep up. And they try making bigger amps, and they kind of shy away. And the Stones were like, screw that. We're going to own this. And yeah. they become the ones that come up with these elaborate shows, yeah. like think of any band that has an elaborate stage
1: show now, like U2. Yeah. The Stones did that first. See, the Beatles were on the right track, but they did it too big, too fast. Like, the Stones kept playing, like, little civic centers what? and selling them out and doing, like, eight shows in a row. Well, what's really funny about that, you watch some of his early performances of the Stones,
2: and there'll be a joke going on, like, oh, how how long do you think we'll get into this gig? Meaning, like, five minutes and it hits the stage— there's gonna be a riot because there was it oh, made yeah. people crazy, made people like lose their minds. Like people be jumping on the stage and tearing seats apart, and you know you see like like first show like beginning first song. I couldn't tell you what it was. Like first song they're playing, and then just get bombarded and they get, get pulled off the stage and get pulled out of the, the stadium. It's just like I said earlier. You know the Beatles made people lose control of their bowel syndromes. The Rolling Stones made people lose their minds.
0: They also invented different amps and stuff like that that would go over the... They were one of the first bands that hang the amps, like, above from the top of the stage to drown out the crowd. They were like, the live show is our advantage. Like, the Beatles looked at the studio was theirs.
1: Maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves right now. Let's take it back here, guys. Let's talk about the the original members of the Rolling Stones. We had Charlie Watts. We had Brian Jones. We had Bill Wyman. We had Mick Jagger. And we had Keith Richards. They were the original Rolling Stones. Brian Jones was the original front man of the band. Mick was like the background guy playing the harmonica. As time went on, everybody was kind of getting away from the Brian sound, you know the brian jones stones is is really hokey yeah i agree you know like she's like a rainbow and stuff like that They're classic songs they are classic songs but then you know brian jones died at a very young age Indeed. but right before he died Mick and Keith kicked him out of the band. Yeah. It was, it was a couple later. months later, yeah. right? He, yeah. Yeah. he drowns in his, pool.
0: in his pool under very questionable circumstances. And,
1: you know, he, he was a great musician. And they said he was the best musician out of all of them. He
2: kind of went downward spiral when, like, the drugs took over him. And he was the guy who told everybody not to take drugs and to, not to drink. And it wound up getting the best of them. And he became the weakest link. and they let him go. And, and it was I, originally
0: I, his band. And I've heard some people say that the era where Brian Jones gets on the drugs and before he washes out of the band is yeah. one of the best eras of the Stones. I agree
2: oh, 100%. Oh, absolutely. That's when they became the Stones that we know today. Yeah,
0: like they get in a groove and before it
2: blows them out, they're at their peak. And you have to think about that with the Stones, like having him die. You had like the Beatles going, of course, going back to the Beatles. You have those guys going on. But then you have this other band. They already have a bad reputation to begin with. And one of their members before they probably even
1: announced it, that he wasn't a stone anymore, dies. No, he was out of the band for about a month, and then he died. It's very controversial, the way he died. There's a documentary on Amazon right now, and it's the Brian Jones story. What they said was he was goofing around in the pool with with his buddy, and his buddy gave him like a shot to the ribs and knocked the wind out of him and he he thought he was messing around you know he's so he got out of the pool and brian's like laying there and the food goes under and the guy takes off 20 minutes later hour goes by somebody walks out he's at the bottom of the pool you know through the years everybody was like yo mick and keith had brian killed all that stuff so there's a there's a lot of controversy around his death there's a lot of
2: controversial just around the stones like totally like just death threats and this and that. And having the Mick, well, well, I'm think, sure we'll get
1: back into that later. I know? think you guys know the Crossroads story. Yeah, you know Robert Johnson Robert at the Johnson Crossroads. He met selling. the devil. Well, I think Mick Jagger was the devil at the Crossroads, man. <laughs> I think he sat there and he said, "You want to play that guitar? You want to play the guitar? Okay, you got it." Mick Jagger pulled out his harmonica, start blowing the blues. It's like, now go and play. But you're saying that with Mick. I always thought that Keith is the dangerous one. No, see, the thing about the stones that aren't the Beatles, the stones are a bunch of college students. Okay. They came from a. Like normal homes, a privileged black background, a privilege. They had indoor plumbing. <laughs> you know, George Harris, poor George Harrison, had an outhouse. But they were privileged kids. They were so privileged they could buy records. Sure, yeah, a good point. They could buy yeah. like real instruments that's at a good the point. time. That's a good point. I mean, they were together only a few, like a year and a half, and then they got signed. Sure, you know, I think that's a good point. You know, who I love Doug. You're a bass player. I love Bill Wyman. I. That's something
2: that I wanted to talk about. Like McCartney is. A great lyricist, a great musician, Both plays everything. A bass player, bass player wise, again, somebody's probably going to call me after us about this. That's one. That's all right. That's fine. Bill Wyman is hands down one of the greatest
1: bass players of rock and roll. Have you? Do you notice the way that he I, plays? Like, I notice he, everything he, like, he's ever done. How he
2: stands it up. Yep. Like, I don't know like, even though how, how he, I don't even know how he plays like that.
1: I don't know. I don't know how he gets all how the young girls it. to marry him either. Yeah, and that's why. He, yeah,
2: but he still gets a piece of the Rolling Stones. Anything that has the Rolling Stones insignia on it. He gets a piece of that so because he's an original member of the Rolling Stones. You know how he got the gig with the Rolling Stones? He had an amplifier. That's how he got yeah. the gig. But I would definitely say that there would be no Rolling Stones without Bill Wyman behind. Because, hey, let's face it. You can't have a good band without a good drummer and a good bass
1: player. They you it ain't down, got the backbeat. Get out. Yep. Let's, let's listen to a Stone song real fast. Let's put on um, It's All Over Now. That has like a really great vibe of Brian Jones. It's real English, yeah. yeah. Stop, Lucy.
2: Yeah. This recording sounds great, but it's all over now. Great song, but you know what's great about the Stones? Well, it's not great about Stones. Like, did they? What song was that? It's all it's over, now. over now. Okay, but the Stones, like you know, they record a lot of people's other people's songs. So the people, the kids, the, the white kids are listening to this. They don't know anything about the back of blues. So as far as they know, this is their material. Oh yeah, that and you know
0: that band more for bringing that old school sure. african-american well, music forward oh
1: totally yeah. i mean when the stones became the stones they were getting famous they went to like america the chess records and they went to cut an album where muddy waters was cut yeah so they get the chess records and they're pulling out their gear and they're like look at it's, there's but there's muddy waters was holy he paint, shit was wasn't he, he, di- pa- wasn't he painting like yeah, he in was He was painting the, painting in the, the hallway, hallway. Yeah. yeah and they're like mr waters we what are you we, doing we named we named our band after after one of your songs the rolling stones what are you doing he's like you got to pay the bill somehow son and i think keith actually helped him out with a lot of his bills right after that like he just gave him like
2: money yes. yeah because he's 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 his idol but they became
1: know? so much Friends, after that, sure. that Mick and Keith brought over Muddy to England, yeah, and treated him like royalty. Yeah, they yeah. did it with Harold Wolf too. Yeah. There's some yes. others. It was, it was some that was the same the tour. Same. Yeah. The same
2: tour. There's just something to say about that. Like what kind of guys they were. Like, like again, they come from background privilege and this and that. But they understand the roots and then treat them like you said, treat them like royalty. This is like – But you also this like this is,
0: is like the civil rights
2: yeah, movement no, absolutely, coming on yeah. and, and – Well, they don't
1: know any of that. They just know like right. the, like the nonsense of America at that time. All right, guys. Let's move on with the Stones a little bit. You know, sexuality was coming through Mick and it it poured off of him. You know, a song just poured out of him and Keith. Satisfaction, man. That has the greatest hook ever in guitar – in guitar at all, period. They said Keith came up with a recording of it like two o'clock in the morning, didn't think much of it, woke up the next day, turned it on, and he was like, Holy
0: shit This is one of the most iconic opening riffs of music. And we are talking in the last episode on Sun Records about when Ike Turner's... They dropped the amp and it's broken and Sam Phillips stuffs the paper in it and it gets that fuzzy right, sound. Right. This song, they said that they took that sound off of that and they wanted that same kind of fuzzy, papery, yeah. papery sound from it. So, and it, once you... If you listen to that early Ike Turner sound, go back to listen to episode four of the Sun Records album by the Prisoners of yeah, Rock and Roll. Stones, they, they wanted, they it wanted to, the, It's the same thing. So, yeah, let's fire it up. Check it out. Yeah.
1: Everything about the song rocks. It just kicks ass. I want to get up and dance right now. The Stones were getting a little bit more edgier after Satisfaction. Then they start doing these crazy dark songs like Paint It Black. Paint It Black is just such a different kind of song. You want to talk about how the acid with the Beatles totally uplifted them and like that? I think the Stones took the acid and saw the darkness sure. of it. Like you just hear the but beginning. But it comes out in their music. It like, comes out. The darkness so, comes yeah. out in their music. Yeah. yeah. So dark
0: and this is also the Beatles um, pulling the sitar into their keep... music right after george harrison was one of the first western musicians to bring the sitar like ravi shankar and all that shit and that's them trying to keep pace with them
2: well they also played on each other's albums and everything like that you
1: know like uh like mick sang back up on all you need is love yeah keeping it to the dark side of things of what the stones kept on being to the dark side now we talk about the me too moment now it's happening can you imagine writing under my thumb now i, mean, I don't know if you guys at home ever really thought yeah. about the song under my thumb i think bruce should play us a couple seconds of it and think about b- women beating
0: social distortion does a rocking yeah, do cover ran. of under my thumb
1: yeah. yeah they make it sound nice even with the
2: xylophone in it
0: It's a it's a it's not a xylophone,
3: it's something very similar.
0: The, like, hand, the hand clapping uh, and it's so it's so layered song yeah but like
2: after like brian jones dies they kind of lose like you know whatever that xylophone is or anything like that they kind of start losing that point of what that that version of the rolling stones is yes. you he know was still
1: alive when did
2: that no album. i understand yeah. that but that's that tail end of that but at the same time he didn't have a lot to do with that album you know no. well he was so he, he, he was, left no, field was, was he
0: the, on their majesty's Satanic. Yes, yes. So, and that's their, their psychedelic... The last yeah. album the that The last w- psychedelic stuff
2: Brian was on. And the, he had a lot of influence over that. And Mick and Keith were trying to like pull away. So maybe it, it worked out better for them, in my opinion. No, that's just I my mean, personal opinion. Brian had to go. He had to... That's what I mean. He had to go. It was, it's. There's two different stages of the Stones. The Stones are what we know today and that in and that version of the Stones. And that's that crossover. Because Brian
1: didn't have a lot to do with that album. Well, the thing was... Keith and Mick were bonding so well yeah. by songwriting. Yeah. They were just pumping them out. Yeah. But Brian has such an ego. Yeah, but it was Brian's band. band. I hear it was that. Brian's and band And I'm sure he reminded first. them all and that was everybody, his band. And everybody made it feel like it was his band yeah. when they came out. And now Mick Jagger and Keith Richards come by, and they're like, no, we're going to be the front guys. Yeah. And yeah, dude, you're, you're going to be really depressed and start doing drugs, too.
2: You yeah. ever been thrown yeah. out of a
1: band? You, you yeah. ever been thrown out of a band? Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it sucks. Didn't Mick say one time, where's my drummer at? What's that story? There's a story. Charlie Watts almost knocked out Mick Jagger once. <laughs> Mick was on a bad tear and just doing coke, drinking, banging chicks. Up probably the Tuesday night. He was having a great fucking time. So he wanted Charlie to come down to the hotel to, to have a couple drinks with him. So what he does is. Mick Jagger calls a room, says, get my drummer down here. Get my drummer down here and have a drink with me right now. And Charlie Watch is like, okay, motherfucker, I'll be right there. Hangs the phone up, gets dressed in a three-piece tea. suit, walks downstairs to the, to the lobby, and punches Mick Jagger right in the fucking face. Because <laughs> he says, he's like, I'm, I'm the Rolling Stones drummer. drummer. I'm not your drummer. I'm the Rolling Stones drummer.
2: Dude, Charlie like polished his shoes before he went down there. That doesn't
0: fr- surprise like, me because Charlie's like the the gentleman, the intellectual, you always, the you, older. No, yeah, but
1: you you got. This guy that you made saying my drummer, my drummer. I've been there, dude. It fucking sucks, <laughs> you know. And he's like, "No, I'm the I'm the drummer of the Rolling Stones. I'm not your drummer." Well, whenever I say you're like, "Where's my drummer?" as a term of endearment. Yeah, I have a friend that says that too. Where's my drummer? But keep on going down with the Stones. Like the next album, what they did was the Flowers album, and Flowers came. Ruby Tuesday came off of Flowers, and my favorite, favorite, favorite. Stone song is on there, and it's Mother's Little Helper, and that song's about taking pills.
0: I don't know what the hell the effect is on that guitar at the beginning. beginning. Oh well, let's listen to it. And yeah, real fast. Sing it.
3: What a drag it is getting old.
1: I hear you. Kids are
3: different today. I hear.
2: in the bass in the
3: background
1: man that's a dark song i <laughs> bet i bet mick jagger's mom was a pill popper <laughs> and the, the yeah. effect on that guitar right there is just it's so cool who's playing that do you think Keith's
2: playing that, or do you think Brian's playing that?
1: I think they're both. I think right now this is getting to the point where um, Brian's too Brian's in left field. They do one more album with no, they do a couple, they do a few more albums with mm-hmm. with him. But they, you know,
2: Keith, like I don't want to get too much into like tuning and this and that. But Keith takes off the low E string on his guitar and he tunes it. He plays with five rather than six. Yeah. And well, there's a
1: great story of how. Keith ran into this gentleman down south, and he saw him playing the guitar, and he was playing four strings on the guitar, and it was coming out of the sound. And he said, hey, what are you doing? You know, he said, this guy don't know who Keith Richards is from left field. And he's playing with four Four strings, strings, and then you listen to Honky Tonk Women, brother. That's the sound. Hmm. But
2: the one thing that I think that the Stones had over the Beatles, they had got so much more out of American music, even though like the Beatles did have like Buddy Holly and all that. But the Stones just like just got baptized in it, you know, and it really comes from like, dude, look at all the country songs that they did. Yeah, you yeah. Know? the Beatles, it becomes like the platform that they jump off of Absolutely. to go forward.
0: Yeah. And the yeah. Stone just, it's the deep end of the pool that they jump Jumped into. In, yeah. yeah.
1: With Brian Jones again. The last album Brian Jones was on was the Let It Bleed album. It's I think it's one of the best, and really the, Brian didn't do anything on this album.
2: But that's that crossover of the Stones. This is the
1: crossover when Mick and Keith yeah. were the guys. And it then, was their band. Yeah. I mean, just put on Give Me Shelter alone.
0: So to me, that is the that's the pinnacle for the Stones Absolutely. for me. Give me Give Me Shelter to me is one of my favorite rock and it's, roll songs. It's an sure. unbelievable. Song. Um,
1: they go into stardom. Yeah. Like, that song is just, you were talking about dark, twisted song. Yeah. That song, the is lyrics, dark and the sound.
0: If rock and roll is about the way it makes you feel, there's a stretch in the song where the backup singer Mary Clayton is singing and her voice cracks a couple times. And you guys couldn't hear the phone ringing in the background of that Sun Records song last week. Mm-hmm. But there's a point where her voice cracks. And if you turn it up, you can hear Mick go, Woo!
3: like he's like yeah get after it and she
0: always said like well at least my voice cracked in tune right? and then after that there's just this like guitar and it just punches you in the face and to me that is probably the most emotional 20 seconds of rock and roll I've ever
1: felt. Dude did you ever hear the story how they they, like called her up in the middle of the night and wanted to come down and record. Yeah
0: and they were like we just need you to sing rape murder. And
1: she's (laughs) like what yeah. So she's pregnant and she's like, these motherfucking British guys. All right, I'm going to go down there. She runs through it once and they go, eh, it's not quite there. Bring it. And then she goes, they like, we're going to do it one more time. She's like, all right, motherfuckers. Yeah. You want to do it one more time? Uncorks it. You want to do it one more time? I'll do it one more time. And that's when you hear her. Yeah. do her solo, in and that.
0: she has a miscarriage like shortly after that. And oh, she really? said she never listened to, the, she couldn't mm-hmm. listen to the song for years. Really? Yeah, because she associated it with with that moment. That's, wow, well, this is my favorite Stones song.
1: Yeah, it's mine too. Yeah,
2: um, let me. Man, right. Stones are killing babies and everything.
1: a
0: perfect song I, it's a perfect song that is if i had to take 10 seconds of rock and roll sure. that's like the way that makes me f- and i was thinking about this a lot about the difference between the two bands the way that 30 seconds makes me feel sure. is why i'm like the that's stones. fucking rock and yeah, roll the stones Dude, are, like yeah, yeah it makes me agree.
1: want to get in the car and go 90 miles an hour Sure. Yeah. and just it's beautiful it's it's a it's beautiful in its, its own way. And it's, 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 right. it's absolutely it's dirty. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's
0: not orchestral. It's not perfect.
1: It's just – Try to do that, Paul McCartney. Right. <laughs> All right, guys. I got something. You know, there's a lot of things that happened in 1968. December of 1968, McCuskers opened. It did. It did. Yeah, 50, over 50 years ago. But you know what? 1968 had a lot of bad things happening.
2: The assassinations
1: of Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King. The Vietnam War and the violent protesting. While the Beatles were doing the White Album, doing songs like Rocky Raccoon and fucking Number 9, dude. I don't get it. The Stones were putting out Beggar's Banquet. Street Fighting Man, Jumpin' Jack Flash, Symphony for the Devil. What the Beatles were doing trying to change the world, the Rolling Stones were telling the world what was going on. Sure. I think uh, you know, the Rolling
2: Stones were like, the band of Vietnam, if you want to say. Like, they were probably, like, highly listened to. Dude, they were, so, all the Dude yeah. they were banning Street
1: Fighting Man. Dude, they were banning Street Fighting Man. Doug, when we just all saw that, Lincoln Financial, they opened with Street Fighting Man, and a little explosion went off in my fucking head.
0: Yeah. Cool thing of that song is uh, there is no electric guitar on that song. It's all acoustic guitar. just is light. it really? It's all layered up. Yeah. 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 There's a really cool documentary on Netflix – uh, about Keith Richards called I Under that. the Influences. Yeah, I watched <laughs> that. And he talks about that song like play, yeah. he's playing it through like an old uh, like 50s tape recorder and then playing that from the tape recorder back into the tape machine and it's all acoustic. There's no electric guitar on Street Fighting Man. Well, it's interesting because I'm being a, a, an enormous Springsteen fan. I was sure. thinking of the lyrics for racing in the street and he's like, summer's here and the time is right for racing in the street. Yeah. And they're singing summer's here and the time is right for fighting in the streets. Yeah, man.
1: I mean, that's they, all
2: might make, make a comeback soon. The way this is no, it's, right. it's right. still you relevant know, of what's going on. It might make a comeback, you know,
1: but you, you guys think what I'm saying? Though? Yeah. the Beatles were fucking right in number nine, number nine, number nine. And they're fucking doing, you know, give me shelter. Right, I am, I am
0: the walrus. Hello, but goodbye. Then, but yeah. then,
1: dude, the best Stone song, the most controversial song, Sympathy for the Devil." It's one of my favorites too. Why "Give you, me
0: shelter," I think is a little ahead of mine ahead, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But
1: let's talk about Sympathy for after. Let's hear it a little bit. Yeah, it, lyrically, it's just it's Mick is the devil, the bongos, is, and the, Mick is the devil, folks always the last person you expect
3: please allow me to <laughs> introduce myself
2: The is still relevant. It's still fresh. Oh, it's it's awesome. still it's still a great you know, song,
1: dude. I, you know? I I think of that song, and I tell you what, I think it was is uh, the Altamont Speedway, the festival. Sure, you, you know, watch
2: the footage of that. You know, Doug. Do
1: you remember Christmas of '97? You bought me the VHS tape of "Give Me Shelter."
2: Yeah, I do. I do.
1: Doug's like, "Here's a Rolling Stones. It's probably gonna rock." I watch this thing. It scared the shit out of me. <laughs>
2: like, yeah, that show was what in 1969. December?
1: Yeah. December 1969. They said
2: after that performance, because after Woodstock, that would end it the 60s. Well, with, this, with this love, peace, shit, and this, that. Because somebody got murdered at that show. The Hells Angels are security. The and guy's th-
1: name was uh, Meredith Hunter. He was yeah, well he pulled a gun out,
2: too. You know, what are you bringing a gun to a concert for? Right, you know. so the,
0: the Stones play Altamont. They hire the Hells Angels yeah. to be security. And they wind up killing a motherfucker. Yeah, they, they, they like, beat the
1: shit out. Right. Of it's on film. The it's on a film. Guy. Did, Did you yeah. ever see it? Yeah. If you ever get a chance to rent, Give Me Shelter, you should definitely rent it because it's so controversial. I think the Stones knew what they were doing. Tell you the truth, I think they were—they were like, "All right, let's get the Hell's Angels, pay let's pay get them, beer. Do- let's paint them beer, we'll get them all doped out, and let's tape it and watch them beat the shit I out of the hippies. They,
2: I hope they're not that—that that, they are that dark, they, you know, like. Other bands like Jefferson Airplane showed up to play that gig. Well, the the Grateful Dead
1: showed up to play, and they they fucked up. And they left. They're like, "We're out of here." We're out of here. I'm a huge Grateful Dead fan, and they fucked that up. How's that? After Airplane went on, they're like, "Yo, we're not fucking going on." You know, they're beating the shit out
2: of the guy in the band. All right,
1: give me a second. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, "The Grateful Dead's like, no, we're not going on. Whatever." So now you got everybody at Altamont sitting there for two and a half hours waiting for the fucking Stones to come on. Yeah. No bathroom, no food, yeah. no nothing. Yeah. The fucking Grateful Dead could have went out there and fucking settled it down, played Casey Jones and fucking mellowed everybody the fuck out. Right. And the Stones could have came on and maybe it would have turned out differently.
2: I never looked at it from there. Yeah. I, I, dude,
1: the Grateful Dead. I, well, I have Grateful Dead tattoo. Yeah. And they fucked.
2: That up uh, because they saw what was going on with the violence and already starting off with the Hell's Angels starting shit. But they were, running friends over people. The they were friends with the Hell's Angels. They were
1: friends with the Hell's Angels. Yeah, but
2: they just saw everything popping off and they were just like, "This is not a good scene. Somebody's going to get killed." And, and they left. They should have tried. They should have tried I at least for twenty minutes. I don't disagree
1: with you. They could have went out there and jammed on nothing for a fucking hour. Did and the everybody would
2: chilled out? Did anybody ever say like, "Yeah,
1: we made a mistake by not playing mm, that show"? I never read it, but yeah, that's my a shame. Thing. I don't know. The, the guy that was in charge of Altamont was a guy named Sam Cutler. He was the Stones' U.S. tour manager of 1969. He was doing most of the legwork of doing the Altamont Speedway. They were supposed to set it up somewhere, and the people that were involved said, this is going to be a fucking disaster. No, we don't want to do it. So they moved it over to Altamont. This guy... Got the Stones to come in. He's the one on the stage asking everybody to get off the stage. And he's fighting with the Hells Angels and everything like that. If I blame anybody, I blame him because it was his fucking idea to have his fucking concert. He's responsible. Because it was like the Stones are not the Grateful Dead. No, you know you can't. Any, no, you can't go no. to San Francisco and think you're going to get a Grateful Dead vibe at a Rolling Stones game. No, they fucked that up. Yeah, dude. and you know what else is? and You guys are going to fucking love this. The same week as Altamont was the same week Charles Manson. Really? Oh, really? Yes, it was. So they make that the official end of 1960s. So that's the end of the
0: summer of love.
2: That's all that hippie shit. It's the end of the 60s.
1: The official end of the 60s. Right. How dark is that? The Stones. Gotta love them. The controversy. They made a living off a controversy. They made a living being those bad boys. They made a living believing in our own bullshit
0: that just cements it for them because that's always the like they were the bad guys and then you always hear that story about the hell's angels killing somebody at
1: one of their sure. shows they were scared to death this i give it to the stones though they finished the set did they they finished the set mick jagger's like if we don't finish this set they're gonna kill more people
0: one of the hell's angels beat one of you to death i'm running out that fucking door <laughs> <laughs> like, i'm patting you out for change and i'm running
1: out the door but like once that show is over they got the fuck
2: out Dude, of Dodge. P- Do you ever see the vid- The footage yeah. of them getting in the helicopter? They're just piling people in that
1: helicopter. They're like, just we only got to go one mile. Everybody get in the fucking. Yeah, let's there's go. like
2: there's like thirty people in this this helicopter. And what year is that? Sixty sixty nine. Sixty nine. De- so December. So the Beatles. 19, the Beatles
1: 69. are still
0: around. Yeah. Right. So then the Stones are for fifty one years longer than that. After that happened, they're yeah. still they're still cooking.
1: Yeah. This this the Beatles, Hate Bulldog was out. The yellow submarine was out. So they're they're <laughs> in
0: completely two different fucking worlds. Yeah, they absolutely. So, so the band that was the college guys are now they're not even hanging over in the here, same circles right. anymore. Right. Like they're you know? and the and the dudes that were the rough and tumble guys, the Beatles, are in this psychedelic all's well with the good they're you know, all, all you need yeah. is love. Yeah. It's crazy. I had never even thought of that. Like where like comparing where they are at that at this point. And the Beatles are about to flame out, and the Stones go on for for
1: well, In my opinion, this is when the Stones start becoming the Rolling Stones. Sure, when Mick Taylor came into the band to replace Brian Jones, they couldn't make a better decision. This guy, the era that this guy played in the Stones, is the best of the Stones. He started out on Sticky Fingers, which is one of their hands re- down my hands favorite down, album, one of the greatest albums greatest of all rock. town. Of, of any album of any album you could anything from brown sugar the can't you hear me knocking the dead flowers to to sway the whole album is a masterpiece as me and doug like to say dead flowers is is a song about heroin <laughs> sister morphine sort of yeah bit, yeah um you know they were still you know be, being the bad boys of rock and roll obviously the uh the album cover was controversial. I don't know who, Andy Warhol. I don't. It. Yeah, I don't know whose package that was. Like, <laughs> it's Mick, there. isn't it? I don't know. I don't but know, isn't know. that with
2: like? Wasn't that what Motley Crue was going for? It? Didn't you say that in one yeah. episode? Yeah, yeah,
1: they were just making fun, fun of, of it. it. Yeah. yeah so so everybody knows that it.
0: album cover. It's at the close-up of like the the crotch area, yeah. and it uh, Andy Warhol designed it, and the the zipper on the cover actually worked. Yeah. It would go yeah. up and down. Yeah.
1: The next album that the Stones put out that i want to talk about is one of the greatest rock and roll albums ever exile on main, main street. street absolutely now exile on main street to me is the equivalent of appetite for destruction sure yeah when you listen I agree to when you listen to exile on main street you need to take a fucking shower yeah. just like you listen to appetite for destruction you got you got to go to therapy or some shit you got to go to you, you got to go line. to rehab <laughs> but exile was made in the south of france in keith richards mansion it was a pretty rundown place and what they did was they were like we're going to leave england because of all the tax evasion shit so we're going to make an album here at the south of france so you you listen to exile on main street it sounds really gritty because it is gritty they were doing the lead vocals in a shower stall You know, they were setting up live mics in in the living room, in the dining room. The drum set was there. In the basement, they were doing the horns. I think the grittiness of what the Stones were and what they became is perfectly sounded on Exile on Main Street
0: that stretch of that from 68 to 72 like Beggar's Banquet Let It Bleed Sticky Fingers and Exile on Main Street like go put that up against anybody any band
1: can you play Tumbling Dice real fast yeah
0: I love Tumbling Dice yeah, I tumbling? love
1: when he says 6, 7 and 9's baby you can be my partner in crime brother
0: I didn't go see the Stones in New York their last show and fucking Springsteen played this with really? sort
1: of them I can see that. God, the song's so fucking good. Ugh, makes me want to listen to the whole thing. Like, don't turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's
2: like really funny? Like, we're majority doing the Rolling Stones off the cuff of this because we're all so passionate about the Rolling Stones. Now, not to get to ahead of this this episode. But, you know, we got, like, a lot of shit over people saying, like, how could you say the Beatles are better than Rolling Stones? Well, if you're even questioning this, you don't – you never – first of all, you never listen to the Rolling Stones, and you don't understand the Rolling Stones. And Maybe they they they, never
1: had that one night stand.
2: Maybe not. Yeah, Yeah, I guess not. But it kind of makes me feel sorry for people who just don't get the Rolling Stones.
1: You know what? The the Stones – and the Beatles really did like each other a sure, whole and lot. Sure, they ran in the same circles. Yeah. They together. were really yeah. good friends. Yeah. You know, the Rolling Stones made a TV special called "The Rock and Roll Circus." Yeah, and um, Lennon was on it. And oh yeah, Lennon was on it. Um, it was the Rolling Stones. It was the Who, um, and it was also this band called the Dirty Mac. And check this out: lead singer of Dirty Mac was John Lennon, and he played rhythm guitar. Lead guitar was Eric Clapton. Playing drums was Mitch Mitchell, and guess who's playing the bass? Who? Keith Richard. Richards. No shit. That, there's, I, I, there's a sound clip on there, Bruce. If if you could like play it, they're doing a version of Revolution. But I don't think this ever made it to
2: TV. Like it came out, I bought it at Blockbuster Music when it came out like years ago.
1: Dirty Mac, Lennon, Clapton, Mitch, and Keith on bass.
0: I'd never heard that before. Yeah.
1: There's a a few other songs they do on there. They do um, Year Blues. They do Revolution. And I believe there's another song on there. But you can go to Spotify and they have the Rock and Roll Circus in its completeness. You don't remember that coming out? That was like a big thing that came out. No, I don't remember this at all. No,
2: I bought it at your guy's store. Like this was a big thing when this came out, man.
1: They do a great version of Cynthia on the Devil. It's like a live version. It's on there also. Yeah. I'm going to write think, it down
2: and listen to yeah, it on my driving home. I don't think it ever originally aired for some reason.
1: Let's talk about – see how we're all saying like the fifth member of the Beatles like that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you who the sixth member of the Rolling Stones is. It was the sax player Bobby Keys. Right on. If you if you heard Bobby Keys, you would know him right off the bat because he's played on every fucking Stone song you can think Bruce, if you could play some brown sugar, it gets to the part where the saxophone part is. And that's why I want everybody to hear. Today, a yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Bobby Keys. Bobby Keys, you know, I was talking to Jackie Bam Bam, MMR, last night for a little while, and he did a little dedication to Bobby Keys because it was the anniversary of his death. He's a huge Rolling Stones fan. But I just wanted to let you guys know, maybe you never noticed Bobby Keys on all those songs. Every sax, back then, the saxophone was just as important as the guitar. Sure. Bobby Keys was the sixth member of the Rolling Stones. Bringing that up, you know, the Rolling Stones originally did
2: have a sixth member. His name was Ian Stewart. He's a piano player. So what happened with Ian is that he didn't fit the mold that fit the the stones at the time. So he was asked to leave the band. But he kept on recording with the stones, playing piano on their tracks until 85, he was inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame with the Rolling Stones. Mm. And he's like forgotten about the Stones have the greatest backup band ever. Sure. They,
0: they had have, the
1: best of the best. They, they had, had
0: well even Ronnie wasn't wasn't you, part of like the the, Ronnie the, the, the corporation. Yeah, you <laughs> want to
1: talk about the luckiest guy in rock no. and roll? Ronnie Woods. No. he was in the right place at the right time. Well, Mick Taylor left
2: the band. Because he couldn't keep up with the stones, they were too crazy for him. Like he was just like you know this wholesome guy. He couldn't be. He did, he could. He didn't fit again. He didn't fit that mold of being a Rolling Stone, so he quit. And then they got Ronnie Wood,
1: and Ronnie Wood felt fit right in with. Yes, the gloves, he did.
2: And Ronnie Wood is might be my favorite stone. I know it sounds crazy. And but, it was
0: like oh eight or 09 before they let him in like the business partnership with yeah. all the. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, the, the the corporation that, that they is, have the but all Ryan's just and happy everything. To be
2: there, man. Ryan's just happy to be there. But he's a great guitar he's amazing. player. Yeah, yeah,
1: he's great. He, he was in the amazing. band
2: Faces with Rod Stewart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Rod yeah. Stewart
0: was like, he's not leaving to go join yeah. the Stones. He's, he's like, like oh, the oh, yeah. well, they said, like when Mick left, they said that like um the list of people that entered that that auditioned like Frampton yeah auditioned for them. There's a whole list of Did you hear how
1: Ronnie Wood got the job? There was a party going on. Mick Jagger's fucking standing there, and he said, I just lost my guitar player. I don't know what to do. He turns to Ronnie. He's like, do you want to join the Rolling Stones? And Ronnie's like, no, motherfucker. I don't want to join the Rolling Stones. <laughs> but that was the story. that He was, st- he was standing and there to Mick, when, when he found out that he needed a new guitar player. And he just turned to Ronnie and said, hey, do you want to be in the Rolling Stones? Right place, hmm. right time, I guess. Yeah. yeah but Mick was the, in a good mood that day. No, but they they didn't treat him like a rolling stone until the steel wheels tour they paid him live and he was but, like a salary yeah, kind of session yeah. guy yeah but then keith, really? i didn't know that then keith was like He's in all the pictures. When, when the rolling stones got back together for steel wheels they were doing all the the money part of it and they they ask keith asked ronnie wood yo fly out here and meet me and ronnie wood's like can you front me a couple thousand dollars? He's like, "What are you talking about? You're doing all right." He's like, "No, I don't get paid for these albums." And Keith went, "Oh no," he said, "You're going to do this reunion tour. You're going to make Ronnie a full blown member." I just kind of man, yeah, yeah. That's how Keith but, but, Keith sticks to his boys, man.
2: But Ronnie's been the lead guitar player. Did a lot of the Longer lead. than anybody else. Anybody else? Yeah. Okay, Keith does a lot, but Ronnie Wood took over a lot of the solos when he joined the band.
0: Well, I saw them on the last tour, and yeah. I noticed that that Ronnie was doing a lot uh, of the heavy lifting.
2: Well, Keith is more of a, a rhythm guitar. Keith player. is the man, yeah. no
1: yeah. doubt, no doubt. Dude, can we just talk about Keith really fast? Yeah, sure. Not yeah. only is Keith the greatest rock and roll guitar player ever, greatest rock star of all time, rock star of all time, absolutely ever. I think he has one of the greatest songs on Exile on Main Street. There's a song called Happy on there. And it's Keith Richards on front vocal. Let's let's listen to it for a second. I'll tell you about it. I'll tell you about it.
3: hear that country guitar yeah. playing yeah.
1: dude it's so crazy that story okay this is the story the stones would get together separately all the time like keith wanted to play at three o'clock in the morning mick wanted to record at one o'clock in the afternoon you know they couldn't get it together so keith I got this fucking idea, you know, I'm going to I'm going to put it down, mix out being a socialite somewhere they can't fucking find him for weeks. So <laughs> Keith finally said, "You know what? Fuck this. I'm going to put the lead vocals down." So he puts those vocals down and Mick Jagger comes in. He's like, what's this? He's like, oh, this is the song. This is the song. He goes, oh, I need you to sing some backups on this song. <laughs> so Mick Jagger's like, all right, you and me sing some fucking backups? I'll sing some backups. And if you listen at the end of the song, Mick Jagger's background vocals are the best background vocals you'll hear on any fucking song. I love uh Keith Richards stuff. My favorite song, one of my favorite
2: Stone songs, if it's not the favorite one, is in a song off of Voodoo Lounge. I know I'm going way ahead. It's called Through and Through. You don't have to play it, but it's... I've my seen favorite. him do that. I know. I never seen him do it. You told me you saw him do it. And I was like, you're I like, oh. you, ah,
1: yeah. like, oh, you missed it. I called Doug from Veteran Stadium at the bar with my phone like up in the air. He's like, <laughs> He's you're like missing it. it. Sorry. That kind of sums up everything with, with the Stones. I
0: mean, they go on for another 30 years. They make they have some albums that are good. Some albums are bad. I, I like the Bridges to Babylon album. I that know is a the a worst people,
2: selling album they ever had. I know.
0: A lot of people shit on it. I I like it. Well, uh, there's a couple songs in there. Keith Richards sings a song on there. I really like Same of Me
1: on there. You know? I like I like the Voodoo Lounge album. That's my favorite. Yeah, that, I, I did too. That's one of my favorite. I like All Out of Tears. Yeah. Yeah. What was it? Love is Strong on that one? Yeah. Yeah. Great uh, song. Blind to
2: Rainbows is on that song. I'm sorry, is on that album and that's a, that's a really political song if you listen to the words of it, the Ireland and England and all that, you give it a listen one day
0: and they, they've made some like one-off songs the last like 10 years and they're talking about trying to get back in the studio and put something
2: else but sure, you're crazy not to, Yeah,
1: there's a new th- there's a new release on Spotify right now dude, yeah. every a day, country album. every song.
2: day they have a new release on Spotify yeah. Like yeah. They're real, I'm hoping somebody's not dying cause real, I said that the wow. other day to, to my girlfriend and I'm like, I hope one of these guys aren't dying because every time I look up on Spotify there's something new, they one release-
1: they want the fans to have the stuff and they want to make the money mick jagger has a new baby on the way as we see another one? <laughs> Oh, i don't know but did I'm you sure hear the song a- did
2: you hear the song they, they just released yeah. oh it's fantastic is clapton on it who's on it somebody's on it
1: it's a song they made back in the day yeah
2: and they re- and they're releasing it now
1: okay i'll have to check that out
0: maybe closing the loop on them too like some innovations some things that they did first they're one of the first bands that ever have a logo the word rolling stones isn't on that logo but son of a bitch you know what that is yeah. when
2: you see it they were one of the first bands to have a sponsor like uh, by okay. some perfume company hmm. uh, at in eighty, so they were the first. Like you know, you hear to this tour. It was like some some fucking fancy hmm. fragrance. Yeah,
0: I mentioned in the the little intro. Like they played a free show in Rio de Janeiro. They had a million and I, a half. I watched the world. that. Yeah,
1: people Nuts. as far as you can see. Yeah. Can you Imagine that. There's a documentary out about that, and. They're staying. The Stones are staying at a hotel across the street from Copacabana Beach, and they say little by little it starts sounding like a beehive. Yeah, like little. Zzzz, like, so everybody many starts talking, and Mick would go out through the fucking the window and almost start a fucking riot. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're crazy for the Stones out there. Everybody's crazy for the Stones. You're crazy not to like the Stones. You're crazy if you don't like the Stones.
0: And then one of the last innovations I had, they were one of the first bands to ever broadcast a show over the internet. So in 1994. They played a twenty minute show that broadcast at ten megabits per second, which is like you know, a fraction of what your cell phone runs at right Jesus. now. But they were one of the first bands that embraced the internet, which is which is crazy thinking that they're like, you know, the the dinosaurs of rock and roll now. but and they were one of the first ones.
1: But you have to think. They've seen change so much. Mm-hmm. They have to expect change. What's gonna be the next change? I don't know. Yeah. What, this what are they gonna do next? I said to Doug when we saw them at Lincoln Financial, did we yes, see them last at year. last year? Last year. And I, I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at Mick Jagger as close. I'm. We're pretty fucking close. And I said to Doug, if this is the last time I see the Rolling Stones, I'm happy. You know, they really fucking brought it. Was it was unreal.
0: I've got two things I want to talk about real quick that bridges the gap between the both of them. One is a story about their manager. And I want to play a clip of... There's only two songs that both the Beatles and the Stones ever recorded in a studio that they both recorded the same song. One was a cover, and one was a song called I Want to Be Your Man. So I Want to Be Your Man was originally written by Lennon and McCartney, and they gave it to the Stones to record. The Stones recorded it, and then the Beatles came out with it afterwards. So we play 30 seconds of it by each band, and then we can talk about who we think is better. So I'll play the Stones first, since that was the one that came out before.
1: I want to be your lover, baby. I want to be your man. Tell me that you love me, baby.
3: Tell me I understand. Tell me that you love me, baby. Tell me understand. I want to be your man.
0: So there's mm-hmm. that. And then... I Want to Be Your Man by the Beatles comes out and with the Beatles a little bit later. So here's their yeah. version with Ringo singing.
1: With fucking Ringo singing.
2: I want to be, be your man. Womp, <laughs> I'll let Ringo sing this one. The Stones already, already had a hit from this one. But when the vocals together come in, yeah. it's really good. Yeah.
0: It, it sounds like a Beatles song. Like yeah. A, yeah. It's like tighter. Right here. Yeah.
1: Now it's a Beatles song. I want to be your yeah. man. But the Stones version is way better. I
3: want to be, your man. Want to be your man.
2: So Do you think they gave it to Ringo because the Stones already had a
1: hit with it? So they're like, I'll let Ringo sing this one. I No, I I think back then all of them needed a song on the album. Right. The they, Stones never did that. Yeah. The Beatles, they all had I, their different they all had, their different personalities, personalities, they all they all had their different personalities and they all had their
2: different songs. Yeah. Yes. Uh I would have to say with that. I like the stones arrangements more jagger just doesn't do me vocally for that song but you know what well, Ryan but, said if it like that point where
0: the Beatles all come together in the harmonies yeah that that's, that might yeah. might that be makes it, but, yeah. but
1: musically I'll take the stones over to musically yeah. yeah I'll take the stones on that one
0: all right the last bridge between the two of them I'm going to tell a quick story about a guy named Alan Klein who is probably our our uh, prisoners of rock and roll shit bag of the week
2: shit bag burr, burr, burr.
0: which is pretty steep considering we've had the guy that shot john lennon yeah. <laughs> in this, episode yeah. this is our he's second close, round close second. So, so alan klein came up in the music industry he managed the dave clark five he managed bobby vinton he managed some uh, one-hit wonders in the rockabilly world and he also managed sam cook and the shit bag starts where Sam Cooke, he died under very questionable circumstances. He was shot in a hotel room. And the speculation has always been that this guy had Sam Cooke murdered so he could be the sole beneficiary of his music. Mm. To this day, Sam's family still doesn't get any royalties from any of Sam Cooke's music. It all goes to this asshole's company. So move forward to spring of 1965. The Rolling Stones are being managed by a guy named Andrew Lug Oldham. He was so young that when the stones were signing his contract or signing their record contract, his mom had to co-sign it because he wasn't 18. So at this point, he's barely 21. The stones blow up in America and he brings on this guy to help renegotiate their deal with Decker records. And he does that. Mick Jagger starts to get a little suspicious of what's going on with the band's money. Mick Jagger, as we said, grew up. Yeah, educated. educated. he studied economics.
1: Yeah, he went to the English economic school of economics.
0: So he looks under the hood at the money. He starts wondering what the hell was going on. The Stones fire the dude in 1970. He turns around and files a lawsuit against the Stones over their publishing rights because he was involved in all these negotiations, and all hell breaks loose. He winds up retaining the publishing rights for a lot of their music in the United States. The Stones, they put out Hot Rocks. That is their best-selling commercial album. Which is unbelievable. Out of everything. That album sucks. It was a double album. (laughs) All of the money from that goes to him. He gets fuck you rich off of that and not the Stones. But
2: but what gave him the credentials to to even jump – To jump on board in the beginning, all paperwork. He was apparently
0: this like wizard negotiator, and he would go to these bands and say, "If I can't deliver X from you, I'll give you a million dollars." He bamboozled them. He He did did. this a couple times in his music history. He's like, "I'll promise you a million dollars if I can't deliver." Is he dead? Yeah, yeah. I think he did. I think he did pass away.
1: He sold his soul to the devil. I hope his grandkids are broke. They fire
0: him, but he still owns the publishing rights. So when iTunes launches. The Stones and the Beatles are both not on iTunes. That was a very famous yeah. thing. Oh, it was yeah. awful. The
1: and, part
2: sucked when you had that machine.
0: And when Apple is trying to get the Stones, they don't have to negotiate with the Rolling Stones. They have to negotiate with this asshole because he has the publishing rights.
1: What a fucking scumbag. So
0: he signs a deal in 2003 to allow him the Stones music in So he gets rich again. So let me back up now. And this is how he fucks up the Beatles, too. So now he's he's... He's shit in the Stones' Easter basket, (laughs) and he's had possibly something to do with Sam Cook. So Epstein dies in 1967. John Lennon is giving some sort of media interview, and he says, at the rate we're going, we're going to be broken six months. So this, and I'm I'm reading now, this piece of shit reaches out to John Lennon (laughs) and offers to be their manager. And George, John, and Ringo all agree to be represented by him. Paul wants nothing to do with him. Smart man. Paul wants Linda McCartney's dad and brother Shh. to represent them. Jeez. So now again about what like, like yeah. people what getting mess. involved. So much So um, many people. Fuck the bands. The yeah. deal is that Paul, Linda McCartney's dad and brother, become the attorneys for the Beatles, and he becomes the manager. That doesn't work. They vote oh, the shit. the brother-in-law or the father-in-law out. This guy becomes the owner, or the manager, and he's the the head guy at Apple Corp now so he goes through and he fires everybody at apple corp he fires the president and he brings in all of his own flunkies he tries renegotiating and cleaning up all of their contracts that they have because i said before we were about the beatles had all these weird different publishing rights in different countries he redid the deal with Capitol records after abbey road and he was like you know the beatles are still really enormous the beatles need to get paid so now Paul's kind of like Okay, I'm, I'm on board. You did a good thing. And now he goes, look what I just did for you guys. We got to do even more music. We have to do Let It Be. So he mm. puts the foot on the gas. That's when he calls in Phil Spector. Ugh. McCartney's not down with that decision. And the rest of the Beatles and this guy vote him down. They're like, no, we're bringing wow. in Phil Spector. Oh. And Paul goes, fuck it, I'm out. Yeah. And that is where the Beatles quit. I'm not done talking about how much of a shitbag this is. So now he's ruined the Beatles. He has potentially led to the murder of Sam Cooke, and he ripped off the Rolling Stones. But there's more. I'm halfway through my notes on this guy. Nah, I love it. So... George Harrison goes on and does his solo stuff, and, and uh, he puts on the concert for Bangladesh mm-hmm. as a big fundraiser. He gets—this guy goes to all of the artists, and he gets them all to play for free. He gets clapped in and all these other artists. They all agree for free, and he negotiates with the record label. Capital Records agrees to give the artists all a 50% royalty on all of this for the money to go to charity. Right. This fuck knob doesn't <laughs> declare the show as a charity event, so now the IRS comes after them and wants all this money. Oh, wow. So $10 million that get made from this concert gets seized by the IRS. And, by the way, when the album for the concert for Bangladesh was selling for 10 bucks, he was taking dollar fourteen of every one of them putting in his pocket. I never knew any of this.
1: So... Why do they trust this guy so much?
0: So, it continues. Drugs, dude. Drugs. Yeah. So... When his contract runs out with Apple, the rest of the Beatles go, dude, you're out. Like, you're, you, we're not renewing your contract. So he turns around and he sues the Beatles. He sues Apple Corp. So when the lawsuits are going on, at the same time, George Harrison's solo music is the song My Sweet Lord is being sued by a, uh, a band called the Shiftins, who wrote a song called He's So Fine. Yeah, they said that that song was plagiarism. It's
1: exactly the same. Song. Is it? Oh yeah.
0: So the the owner, the publisher of that song, was a company called Bright Tunes Music. This guy goes and buys that publishing company <laughs> in the middle of the lawsuit. So now he is suing George Harrison. Jesus. After
2: Christ. all this shit, it's like a vendetta,
0: right? He winds up winning two million dollars in this lawsuit in the plagiarism lawsuit. There's some appeals. And George Harrison winds up paying the guy the money that he spent to buy the record label. Mm -hmm. He paid 587 grand for it, and George Harrison has to pay him back for that. The guy eventually then gets caught selling promotional copies of Beatles albums without declaring the money, and the IRS gets him and the shitbag goes to jail. Good. I'm
3: not
2: Is that done. the happy end? I thought it was not, the happy I'm end. I'm not
0: done fucking this guy. The, this guy's shit I never baggered. knew any of this. So let's fast forward to the 10 years ago. So the band The Verve comes out with that song, Bittersweet Symphony. Great song. Great song, huge hit. It's sampling an orchestral version of The Last Time by The Stones. So they go and get permission from Decca Records to use it. But this guy owns the American publishing rights. So he goes to The Verve and goes I'm not letting you re- release this song unless you sell me the publishing rights for a dollar. So the Verve didn't make a fucking penny from that song. All the times it's on stadiums and commercials That's a and big everything. Song. He made again millions and millions of dollars. And then in 2019 he finally negotiated and the Verve gets royalties moving forward, but this guy is the shitbag oh, of the week. He's a of the smart week of dude. the
2: century, decade. Yeah. Smart, Say what smart you smart will, smart guy. Right? Say what you will. He, yeah. he's, he's a duped. smart dude. He duped uh,
0: the Beatles, have the Stones, no Sam Cooke, no Sam Cooke.
2: Yeah, right. He's no soul.
0: Ugh. Let's take another commercial break. We have some listener feedback, and let's finally settle this debate, and then we'll we'll call it a night.
1: All right.
0: This episode of the Prisoners of Rock and Roll is still brought to you by McCusker's Tavern. The building is at the intersection of 17th and Shunk Streets in South Philadelphia, but the atmosphere lives at the intersection of cold beer, sports, and great music. If they're good enough for this show, they're good enough for you. All right, we're back for our third segment. So we're ready to bring this home, and oh, we are yeah. ready to settle this debate.
1: We've been down here all night.
0: We have been all night. It is it is a late—this is like a Stone show. This is like
1: <laughs> a regular night at McCusker's. This
0: is. This is a late night. This is We're on the encore we'll now. We're putting a shift in. Before we go around the horn and make our rulings on who do we think wins this debate, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones, we got some feedback from a whole lot of people. And one of the th- cool things that Ryan did was Ryan went out. And solicited feedback from everybody. He went on Facebook. Uh, he, he a lot of our fans chimed in, and he solicited feedback from a whole bunch of different people and some really interesting things. Ryan, do you mind if I read the one that from John Popper? No, John Popper from Blues
1: Traveler, right on.
0: Yeah. So Ryan was posing this question to pretty much everybody, and John Popper from Blues Traveler chimed in, and and his opinion was this. The Beatles were compositionally ahead of everyone at the time, with George Martin producing especially. I think their impact even on the Stones cannot be understated. Having said that, in the context of a live show, there are a few things as exciting as watching and hearing the Rolling Stones get down, especially in the early to mid to late 70s. That may be some of the best examples of a live band ruling all ass that ever existed. Even when we toured with them in the 90s, there was such power to them as a musical force that it was awe-inspiring. As I had been warned, despite my being convinced that being warned would demystify them as a musical fighting force in my head. But they walked the walk in every sense. In that context, the Beatles hadn't truly entered the arena in earnest since their Hamburg club days, so you have each entity focused on its own magical power. The fact that they were contemporaries made it all seem that much more magical somehow. I'm glad we had both. And then, Ryan, you went on and asked them what it felt like doing a song with the Stones on the Bridges to Babylon uh, tour.
1: Me and Doug went and saw the Stones on Bridges of Babylon tour, and Blues Traveler opened up for them. And I remember standing there and be like, I fucking love this fucking band. Yeah, they're a great band. They were so good. And John got up, and I think it was Midnight Rambler. Mm-hmm. You know, he got yeah. up and he played... Played the harmonica? Yeah, like he fucking toured the fuck up. So we, we kept on having a conversation on Facebook. And I, I said to him, so, uh, you know, I remember you... You kicking ass that night. What was it like being on stage with the Stones? And he says, it was historical, like a magical 40 minutes we didn't deserve. Then, once they came on, school was in session. It's amazing. And yeah, uh, it's
2: amazing. You got a response out of him. And, That's, and still, he he reached out to you for that. Yeah,
1: he actually reached out to me. I didn't plug him or anything. Yeah. And one of the last things I said, I said, I'm a big fan of yours, John. I listened to your version of Imagine today, and it was amazing. And uh, he answers back, It was so cool to see how simplistic but brilliant the chord progression lays out. You learn that song. Lennon was an all-time songwriting champion. I can't thank you enough, John Popper, for getting back to me. I know you're not listening to my show. Yeah, but it's pretty amazing, though. It's just to get picked out of nowhere. He just... And I'm, I've been a f- fan of him since, God, high school, run around. Doug had their album before anybody did. Yeah. But it's amazing. Like, you know, he,
2: he came out of you out of nowhere. But you reached out to a bunch of other celebrities I also. I did. I did reach out and to it's a amazing, bunch of guys. But it's a perfect question. Ro- Everybody has an opinion. Yeah. Yeah. The Stones really, or the Beatles. I did it
1: real quick. You were a man on a mission this week, I too. Was a, I was a yeah. big man on a mission. Mm-hmm. One guy I got was Jim Brewer. Jim Brewer's a comedian. Um, He's even half-baked. He's a a really nice guy. I asked him, Beatles or Stones? And he said, Beatles, but that's just me. The next person, I don't know, you you guys remember if you watched Saturday Night Live, the old versions of Saturday Night Live, the guitar player and band leader, G.E. Smith. He was also the lead guitar player in Hall & Oaks. I had a conversation with him about Live Aid And he, I messaged him really fast. I said, what was it like being on stage with Mick? And he said, it was an amazing whirlwind. And I said, well, the Stones or or the Beatles? He said, Stones all the way.
0: They wrote him a check. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Also, another great, great, great guitar player near Schoen. And if you don't know who he is, he's a guitar player from Journey. Um, he got in contact with me, and he said the Stones. I think the biggest one I got today, a friend of mine, I reached out, and I asked him to do me a favor. He's kind of friendly with Billy Corrigan of the Smashing Pumpkins. So I said, you know, can you just give him a text and see what he says? Just say Stones or Beatles. And Billy Corrigan answered, and his answer was Beatles all day. Which is pretty, pretty amazing. Get some feedback from sure. real celebrities. Yeah. I think you might be on to something. Yeah. You know, I also was really obsessed with the home of rock and roll sure. Philadelphia. WMR. They are like what rock and roll is in Philadelphia. So I stalked them on the radio. And I had to call them. I had to ask them, like, who was better, the Stones or the Beatles? Okay. The Preston and Steve gang, they said the Beatles. Jackson said The Beatles, and his assistant Sarah said The Stones. Jackie Bam Bam said The Stones, and Mr. Pierre Robert said The Stones. I'm surprised by that.
2: Pierre seems like such a Beatles-type guy. No. But I don't disagree with him.
1: He likes to rock. I don't disagree with him, even a little bit. But if I go through the celebrities and the MMR, Beatles, Stones, it's a tie. Really? Really? It's a tie. Good. I'm happy for that. So
0: we we really should have totaled up all the voting on Facebook too. Oh, we we had yeah. so much feedback too. Yeah, chime in. And I I went through.
1: I broke so much balls this week about. I was getting what, did, what do they call that? Um, stalker.
0: Yeah, stalker. <laughs> I was the stalker. You're like somebody's taking out the trash and you pop out of the trash yeah. can like Beatles are Stones? No,
1: it was um, people were like hacking
2: me. You're you're like you know you're people take this. This subject very personally. I read a lot of stuff that people wrote. And like some of it was like, I'm like, I right, like oh, I like to the be like, how could this even be a question yeah. of like yeah? How can you yeah. compare them? Eh.
0: I went through the Facebook thing this morning as I was doing my final, my final get together my notes, and I wrote down a couple. There were some really fucking insightful comments. We had some really <laughs> smart people that follow smarter than us. Never follow us, but I I had a couple. Um John Eckman. when I first placed my Columbia house order, eight cassettes for a penny, Hot Rocks, was in the first shipment. John's a great guy. Is that John? Yeah. I wore that out all the way through college. The blues roots of the stones drew me in in much of the same way I was drawn to Zeppelin and Clapton. However, the first time I listened to the White Album, the lyrics made me stop what I was doing. They were so subversive, it felt dangerous. Which was funny because I was listening to it 25 years after it had come out. That is the staying power. That album especially can draw me in in a way that a Stones album never has. The Beatles have it. John, you're the man. We miss you. Man's got to work. Abe Chappelle. People have breakfast with the Beatles. They rock all night with the Stones. That's Abe the rock star.
2: Abe, Abe the man. Abe the rock star. Love
0: you, man. Frank Tigerman. The Beatles have a better batting average, being they were only around for 10 years, but I could live never hearing their first 10 releases ever again. I'm not (laughs) a huge fan of the Beatles, but they were (laughs) solid when they were really solid. The Stones have some really great stuff, like Knock Out of the Park Great, but then there's everything after the late 70s that honestly is really bad. But we're talking 20 albums, possibly 30 that are wholly unremarkable. Their batting average isn't nearly as good as the Beatles, but when the Stones had a hit, it was a banger, like a full-on banger. If you made me sit down and listen to three hours of either on shuffle, I'm picking the Beatles because when the Stones are bad, they're gouge out your your (laughs) eardrums bad.
1: I can hear Fred (laughs) saying Fred. Fred is the best tattoo artist around. He works at Street Road Tattoos. Yeah, He's done many tattoos on me.
2: Me and Ryan are both covered by him. But you I, can say, I can hear him saying
1: that as we're yes. yeah, especially pres- gouging his eyes out. Yeah,
2: uh,
0: John Corrali, friend of mine, I work with both hands down have written masterpieces some are works of art that the world will never ever see crafted again Sergeant Peppers and Sticky Fingers but it doesn't get much better to listening to get your Yayas out really loud while sitting out by the fire pit with a glass of Jameson
2: we didn't even talk about that album either that's a great, so album. That's that was, a great album so that
0: was it that was just a handful of smattering we, we had dozens and dozens and God, dozens it was of people
1: so, I had so much fun doing all the homework with this and talking to all the people and talking to like Jackie Bam Bam and Piero. Bear and Jackson and the Preston Steve guys—they were so nice. Your new friend uh, John Popper and my new friend John Popper <laughs> and G. E. Smith.
0: Just remember us when you make it big. Yeah. That we're hey, yeah. so it's it's our turn. It's our turn. So, Are we going
1: to do the? Uh, we could do the electric chair. No, we
0: got to let's close we, this up
2: and then we'll we we'll bring it
0: home. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: So what do you what do you got, Doug?
2: Okay, this is how I feel about it. Now, if I was going to raise children, I would want them growing up with the Beatles. Hopefully they discovered the Rolling Stones on their end. What John Popper said, I agree with 100%. You can't really – they both brought so much to the table. But as an adult or wanted to be a big child, I'm going to have to say the Rolling Stones. Not that I don't love the Beatles, but who I am
1: today, I'm going to have to say the Rolling Stones. Ryan? The only thing I have to say is, pleased to meet you. Hope you guess my name. i going stones all the fucking way.
0: I think I am, too. We I love the Beatles. Purposely didn't say who's the better band. We yeah. said we're debating the two of them. If I'm driving down the road and I want to put some music on and I just want to jam out, I'm putting the
1: Stones on. Yeah.
0: The Stones, to me, are more about just having I've a had, good time.
1: I've had more of experience with the Stones, dude. I've seen them close to 15 to 20 times. I traveled hundreds of miles to, to see them. Keith Richards, you know, I hope to live as long and rock as long as he has. Charlie Watts is the best drummer in the world. He's right in the pocket. If you play the drums and you think you're fucking Neil Peart, you know, you're a fucking jerk off. I, (laughs) You know, Charlie Watts just keeps it nice and steady just for the song. The
0: Beatles are a artistic band. Sure, the Stones are a rock and roll rock and band, and that's what the yeah, like best just,
2: rock and roll band. Yeah,
0: just a, a shot of whiskey. Yeah, just I'm in the bar. I'm rocking yeah. the fuck out. Yeah. I just I vote the Stones too. Apparently, we are the. I'm surprised that we were just all unanimous and we're kind of countered everything that everybody else said. But I, but
1: I think we're gonna have to call it a draw. I think we yeah. will too
2: because we. It depends on the criteria. Yeah,
1: like you said, like driving. If I'm driving, well, it depends. What kind of day it is. It might be a day one day. When I talked to Jackson on MMR, he's like, how can you ask me that question? He said, he's like, what day is it? All right. So before we wrap up and get out of here, we're going to do the
0: electric chair. So that was a bit that we started in the last episode where one of us gets to pick a song that we are going to send to the electric chair to kill off for all of its crimes against music humanity. And this week is my pick. And the choice that I have is Believe by Share. Oh,
2: oh the song's so bad. Dude, I, I, I just oh, can't. Man. And I the, remember so I played this in the bar one time. I had to walk outside. Yeah, uh, and I, I I remember when I messaged
0: you guys a couple of days ago that this was going to be my pick, and you were just like, oh, uh, dear God, this is a tolerable song.
1: Dude. And, her fucking voice wants me to fucking shoot myself. I'm I, taking my headphones off. Sorry, I hated guys.
0: this song when this song came This song's 20 years old. I hated this song when this song came oh, out. God. And the older I've gotten, the more I hate it.
2: Listen to it. Listen. listen. I don't want to listen to it.
0: Sir. No, no. She sounds like a Muppet. That, right there.
1: It's the so, fucking auto-tuning, right this there. Was,
0: this was like the first commercial hit that used autotune and so many artists have ripped this song off that like
1: dude i wish they had autotune when i made my album yeah i could have really used it
0: you didn't didn't need it i i like hip-hop music i find most modern hip-hop music largely unlistenable because of all the autotune it's like all mushed together
2: well they say rock and roll dead that shit's dead. Yeah, so and dead. and
1: God, you know what I think of when I hear that fucking auto tuning shit? Is that? that fucking what's his name? Post Malone, right? right. The shit on his face. Yeah, the he the shit on like his, his face. The real Dorito bad. commercial guy, the the guy with no talent. That's what I auto tune. He's auto tune king. Uh. And
0: this, so this song not only sucks, but it made a whole lot of other songs bad. This song walked into the elementary school of music with a fucking machine gun and started Ugh. shooting everybody. How do you
2: say Be- that? Yeah. That's, dude, I've known you like for 25 years. That's like the most horrible this, thing you ever. This song, said. this song,
0: and for that, this song must die. We Good sentence you to death. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Good riddance.
0: (laughs) We never need to hear that song. Ever ever, again. Uh, I had to take my
2: headphones off when you were playing it. It's so awful.
1: Rest in peace, Cher. It's such
0: a piece of shit.
1: Uh, But Turn Back Time's a great song. (laughs) Uh. All right, so this was a lot of fun. This was
2: long. This was a great
1: episode. Yeah, yeah. a I had so much I hope, fun. I
2: hope people have much fun yeah. listening to it than you had yeah. making it.
0: We'll be back in two weeks. Next In two weeks, we decided we're going to do a Christmas episode, something a little lighter. We're going to come back with Christmas music that doesn't suck. Nice. So we're going to sift through the mountains of holiday tunes and talk about some ones that are good. Hopefully that only takes us
2: an hour <laughs> yeah. to do. That sounds like a fast <laughs> episode. Yeah. I, bet I, I bet I already know your, your, number, your favorite Christmas yeah. song. Yeah, well, you're going to have to listen, I, I th- yeah, listen think a think couple of weeks. Is, so yeah. speaking of that, we're already
0: publishing playlists to go along with all the music we talk about in each episode. You can find them on Spotify and Apple Music. Uh, we'll share links to them in the show notes and on our social media accounts. All of you guys out there listening to us, please keep listening, subscribing, rating us. You can check us out on PrisonersOfRockandRoll.com. We're on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to music. We got added to iHeartRadio last week. You can also get in touch with us. We're on Facebook. We just got up on Twitter this week at PrisonersOfRock. We're always posting content, and we love hearing from our listeners. Lastly, you can always email us at prisoners of rock and roll at gmail.com
1: awesome i got one more thing we got to do guys what's that it's a it's a bummer but you know we also lost a great musician that changed music forever of course, I'm talking about Dimebag Daryl. He was assassinated on stage. I guess it's been like over 10 years now. I remember when it happened. I was putting up, up the bar's Christmas tree. I couldn't believe it. It's like the guy yeah. jumped on stage and yeah. shot him black. I remember when I first black heard it. It blew me away. I couldn't believe it. This is little dime, little tribute. But yeah, that's it. I got one more thing that we got to put in
0: here. So, again, thank you to everybody who's been listening to us. We check out our listener numbers every week, and we see that it's really slowly growing. We have a handful of listeners in Canada. We have a couple in the UK. That's really, really cool. We also noticed we have a subscriber in India. (laughs) <laughs> which is just which is just friggin' awesome. Uh, Dude, if you're listening. If you are out there, please shoot us a message on Facebook or shoot us an email. Or,
1: we would love to hear from we you. We
0: would love to hear from you and hear tell us who the Beatles or the stones. And
2: that's it, everybody. We will be back in two weeks. All right, everybody take care out there. Hang tight. Everybody keep rocking. Peace out.